watched it from. It's Oscar season. Ah, those Academy Awards. The glitz, the glamour, the tuxes and gowns. The epic broadcast with production values, stage patter, and an auditorium filling up with losers. It's the party Hollywood throws for itself. And we, that's you and me, Wade, are here to give the play-by-play on how it all happened. But we're not. Because this year is different. This year, heroes don't throw parties. Only losers enter auditoriums in the first place. And the true stars are the ones who traded their evening gowns for dressing gowns and tuxedos for tuxedo t-shirts. Yes, it's been a year for scaling things down, where the only safe theater was the home theater, and we've desperately needed something to look forward to. In that spirit, we here at You Watched It Wrong are breaking new ground, planting new seed, digging our own well. Yes, we're trapped in our flat for a week or for 30 years, who knows, but that doesn't matter. And it doesn't mean we can't change the decor, take some paintings off the wall, and most of all, stop worrying about our watch. Whatever we've lost of ourselves, our responsibility now is to preserve the 24% we have left, not to keep drumming to the same beat. And so, instead of reviewing the Oscars broadcast that was, we're going to start predicting the Oscars that are to come. And with this, it means shortening our episodes, tightening our belts, and the UWIW's whole family taking a voluntary reduction in salary. But that's okay. We need work. We like work. And we like wandering around through the whole wide movie year. Now, we're no experts on the inside buzz or anything. We might be passing ourselves off as phony experts here, flashing a fake badge to steal your attention. But we're not just picking who we think will win the Oscars, but who we think should win. And what's more, who should have been nominated. So settle in as we read this very long list of names to you, to thunderous, spontaneous applause and shouts of order in the court. And you will remember their names, even if we have to put you in fluffy pink earpods and tattoo them or carve them into you or whatever it is we're going to do. Because this is where we show you that you awarded it wrong for the year 2020. Darn right, 2020. I expected you to say 2021, and I was so glad you said 2020, because these are the films of 2021. No, they're the films of 2020. What's that? They're the films of 2020. The films of 2020, but they say it's Oscars 2021. I can't stand that, because it's no. the Oscars 2020, but it's Oscars. These are the, the films of 2020, and some that came out in January, but whatever. Right. <laughs> That's right. And you are here to celebrate that weirdness with us. Hello, my name is Wade. And this is Siggy, and this is You Watched It Wrong, the podcast where we don't tell you that you watched it wrong. Instead, we tell you how we watched it. <laughs> That's right, because usually, come on, we're, we're pretty wrong. I think I'm right. Oh, yeah. Well, we all think we're right. But you can be right, too, in your own way. What's right for you might not be right for me, and that's all right. But we're going to tell you how we watched the 2020 year in film. You know, a lot of uh, discussion about this year and the, the Oscars and everything like that keeps saying that uh, this is a very different year in film. This is a very weird year in film. I have to say, I still found quite a bit that I really adore. I 
loved this year in film, actually. I know. I, uh, I watched more than twice as many films for this podcast as I had prepared for last year's Oscars mm. podcast. Um, and I liked almost all of them <laughs> and, <laughs> it, to some degree. I had very few bad movies on my list that I saw. I, I thought it was an excellent year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I completely agree. And, and I, I felt that I didn't have time to watch movies despite, I think my, my mental space was taken up with, oh, historical events that were going on at the time. <laughs> yeah, we had a few. In the time. Uh, and, and much other life management. But um, I still had to steal away time in the middle of the night for movie watching. And I did... Pretty well. I think I, uh, I think my count was around 84, 85 Holy movies so far. Shit. I got I had 41 and I was very proud of that. That that's... <laughs> And there's still ones I still haven't seen and want to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I think oh, you get down to the 60s in my list and that's when you start getting problematic movies or like slightly where, where the problems seem to take more precedent and I only have a couple I really didn't like. You know, cool. so it's been a good year. Well, we're going to talk a lot about the things we did like because we're going to go through every category that is recognized by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences and add a few of our own that we think um, right. need to be in there. And we're. They should start adopting these, <laughs> I think. <laughs> we'll petition you know, it. We'll tell you the five in each category, or eight if it's best picture, that got nominated, but then we're going to tell you what we or think. Or if they're my picks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then we're going to tell you what, we, what should have been nominated. So we'll yes. give you our top fives, counting up to our number ones in each category. And then, as an extra treat, we might just run down our lists of. Everything. Who knows? All of them. All of them. Play it by ear. You're going to find out every movie we watched, uh, a 2020 (laughs) release, or at least eligible for the 93rd annual Academy Awards. But we'll get there. That's at the end of a nice, uh, fun discussion, which is going to start with what category, Wade? What category are we starting with here? We're going to follow the format. We're going to follow the format that last year's ceremony did. Um, it's actually the year before because I couldn't find the order for oh. <laughs> last year. Okay, <laughs> that's all right. It's we're we're gonna follow same. the last recorded format that we had. Um, so, which they started off hot with best supporting actor. So we're gonna go through now the Oscar noms for best supporting actor, and this is always a stacked category. So let's uh, let's get it. So the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences nominated for best supporting actor this year, Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Daniel Kaluuya, Judas and the Black Messiah. Leslie Odom Jr., One Night in Miami. Paul Racy, Sound of Metal. And Lakeith Stanfield for Judas and the Black Messiah. Now, first right off there, if Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield are supporting actors in Judas and the Black Messiah, who is the lead? (laughs) Right. Well, a movie doesn't have to have a lead actor, but... That's true. Lakeith Stanfield is the lead actor in right. that movie it's it's he's in it from the first scene to the last scene and it's his arc that you're following he's yeah. the lead it's ridiculous that he's in this category i'm not yeah. even considering him as, as in my nominations for supporting because that's ridiculous i agree i disqualify he's he's in a lead role so he's not in this category you could make the 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 argument that kalua that it's a two-hander even though i mean in terms of lead roles but i think you could and kalua gives the bigger performance uh to me yes. 
Um, I thought of him naturally, more naturally in the lead actor, but the more I thought about it, it was a supporting role. You're right. It's just he's he's such a, a, a such a large presence, yeah. an arresting presence, a, a, a alluring presence, yeah. a really engaging presence. It, it's it, parallel to Ma Rainey and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which is Absolutely. in the lead category. So I'm gonna I'm contradicting myself if I put her there. <laughs> well, I had I had the same problem. I had the same problem with Ma Rainey and and uh, Fred Hampton in yeah. uh, in those two. They're movies, both steady, except except. That Fred Hampton in Judas and the Black Messiah has a big decision he makes. Like he has a yes a a moment of crisis and a, a dramatic decision he has to make that he makes. Right? Um, he has a fork in the road that Ma Rainey's character doesn't have. But we'll I won't get into that. Um, so we'll get into that quite yet. So for that reason, um, I I don't mind. Danny Kaluuya being in Best Supporting Actor. It's a technicality, but these are technicalities. It's a technicality. exactly. Okay, exactly. I found the clicking sound. It's my ice and my drink. <laughs> a, sorry, everyone uh, listening to the. Right. I'm thinking of end things and wanted to end your life listening to. Apparently, that was I was editing that and like, what the hell is that clicking sound I keep making? Uh, probably the well, ice. I, it's probably the ice and my every drink. Every time I pick up my drink, I I tell myself, oop, edit. Yeah, every time you've done it too. Okay. <laughs> I'm only going to take a drink when you're talking and otherwise put that down. It's good. Yeah, it's good policy. So um, I think all five nominated roles are nomination worthy. They're all spectacular. I'm a little more lukewarm on a couple of them. Sasha Baron Cohen was good. He was good. In, he was good. Uh, he was not. He was, was not in like my top two supporting actor <laughs> roles right. in that movie. And so for him being singled out... Um, it was not great for me. And yeah. <laughs> and I didn't love I've I've loved Lakeith Stanfield in other things I've seen. I did not love him in this one. I I struggle with this a great deal because I think he's a fantastic actor and I think he's pretty raw and heartbreaking in this movie, but I kept getting distracted by going, he is so nervous in the moment. There's no way these people wouldn't think he's the rat. That's exactly that's, that was exactly my and it bothered me it. the whole movie. He yeah. was so sus. He was so sus, as my kids would say, um, <laughs> that like during the "I Am the Revolution" the big speech where uh, yeah. Jesse Plemons is in the audience watching him, and it's like he's revealing everything on his face. Like yeah. how could anyone not notice? How could he not get a scolding at the dinner that night about how you're a terrible undercover? <laughs> agent because everyone can tell right. what you're right. thinking um I, and, yeah. and this isn't to disparage that movie but it, it 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 did bother me quite a bit and then daniel kalua on the other hand i loved his performance but i i keep getting i found it really hard to understand him a lot of the time he was i was like what is that a that's in a South Side accent I've heard, but maybe that's. I right. mean, I'm not. Maybe that's how the guy talked. I don't know. I have yeah. like gone. He just he just ran through it real fast. But it felt I, very authentic. I, like I didn't. It, it certainly did. I didn't fault it as a negative. It was a challenge. Um, it was a challenge, and, and I, if I had, it, if I had done this in the theater, I wouldn't have gotten most of it. Like that great scene where he's in the. Uh, what was that place with the Confederate flags up? Oh yeah, the um, uh, the gang. Uh, yeah, I don't gang, know, yeah. Whatever. When he went into that thing and gave a speech, it was a great scene and a great speech. But I had to watch it like five times, three times, and yeah. <laughs> with, with the uh, we subtitles put, we on. We put the yeah, we put the captions yeah. on. Uh, and I was like, uh, 
Don't know really where the fault is there, but it, it was still a bothersome. Well, also because the music was so loud, the the mix on that mm-hmm. was the the music and especially the bass heavy music was so loud that I woke my son up. My <laughs> Floyd came down and yelled at us because we woke him up, and I'm like, "Oh shit!" Uh, you know, and right. like he he can never hear anything I'm doing, but we had turned up so loud so we could understand the dialogue. That <laughs> right. He came down and scolded us, so we had to put the captions on. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. in One Night in Miami and Paul Racy. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. I, I thought was really fantastic as, as Sam Cooke. And really was kind of, of all the different hearts and themes in that movie, he was, his really was the strongest for me. And I thought I, really played well. I did not see his extent. I thought they were, I thought all four were really good in that movie. Right. No one of them really stood out more to me than the others, to be honest. Like, I didn't see right. him as like, this is kind of Hamilton. He got nominated because of Hamilton. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't go that far. I, but I, see what you're I mean, talking. that's how it felt to me. I was like, oh, okay, well, well, let me. And I sat down to watch that movie. I'm like, okay, I'm going to get me some Leslie Odom Jr. And he kind of doesn't show up until the second half of the movie, performance wise. Like, he's very quiet and subdued. And he doesn't really get any moments. I don't know. I mean, he was good, but like I thought, I thought the others were really good too. So, so from the Oscar nominations, who do you think is going to win? What would you bet? I would put my if I had to put my money. I think Daniel. If you're thinking about this like a race, which I hate doing, but yeah, if you that's what this part is. This is the speculation. You figure Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield will split a vote. Um, at least that's what the conventional wisdom would be. Uh, so I have to go with, I mean, I'm sure they would love to see Leslie Odom Jr. up there, but I have to go with Paul Racy. I think it's, hmm. there's the Oscar thing, like it's someone with a disability and that, you know, they like to award that. Um, right. but it's such a strong role. It's such a standout thing. And like a career guy who you look at yeah. his discography and it's mostly action movies and bit parts and like for, he's such a surprise and yeah. it's such a strong, a, memorable performance, and so like, it's it's the most heartstring tugging moment uh, in the field for me, um, and so mm. I just think it's kind of Oscar bait, <laughs> uh, but it's yeah. also no, really it, really good. So yeah, um, exactly. So he's my who will win and my who should win from this field. Oh wow! Okay, great. Um, I I was less scientific. <laughs> um, I kind of feel like, yeah, you're right. Kalu and Stanfield will split the vote, but I, I still kind of feel like it's like it'll probably go to Kalua, just because I don't know. I, that's just the feeling I have. I, it's a very strong performance. Uh, it's a very strong you know, performance and worthy of, and worthy of getting it. You'll see. I agree in a moment. <laughs> I certainly would be happy if he won. Uh, I do think he was robbed. I do think he should have got it for Get Out. So you know, I'll be yeah, happy if he does. No this. kidding. But uh, yeah, that was move. Uh, um, so, but who should win? I, I, I can't tell. I'm, I'm, I'm going to split between, uh, Odom Jr. and Paul Racy. I think it's going to be one of those two. Okay. Um, Non-committal. Not putting your money. Yeah. Back. I got a couple of those. It's just too close to call for me. <laughs> so now let's do our, who would we nominate if the world were our oyster? Okay. Well, I teased it. So I'll go first. Um, my number five is the performance for me that stood out the most from the trial of the Chicago seven. And one of my five favorite performances from a supporting actor of the year was Jeremy strong. Um, 
uh, Sasha Karen, Sasha Baron Cohen's buddy, from, um, uh, right. who, as Kendall in Secession, uh, I sometimes loved and sometimes hated. Like he was very uneven for me, and sometimes really got on my nerves. I just loved him through and through in in this movie. I thought his his characterization was great um, yeah. and ho- I, and hilarious. Um, and really, he, he's one of my. F- Favorite actors in The Big Short, actually. When I was like, who? When I saw it, he's the that's the first time I ever saw him. And I'm like, who is this guy? Yeah, he's great. I wanted to be the, the I wanted to be buddies with <laughs> that character. Um, <laughs> my number four is Daniel Kaluuya. Just I, such a strong performance that I had to think about it. Like I, I walked away from the movie. I went to bed it's like, well, he was in the lead role in that movie, and then I had to think, like, oh, he, no way, he wasn't. Like. But it was right. it was so powerful and such a presence, um, and such like the center of gravity of and like moral center of that movie, um, that that it just felt like it's heavy enough to feel like a a lead performance. Also true of Michael Stahlberg and Shirley, yeah, as uh, the professor who's like the worst kind of academic, and I have dealt with this person <laughs> in my right. day job. It was yeah. so right on. Um, the, one of the characters who stuck in my head like, and lived in my head the most of any character I saw in a movie this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll be talking more about him. Johnny Flynn is my number two in Emma. Oh, I forgot about him. Oh, Who was man. a revelation yeah. to me. I swore. Yeah. I didn't know who this person was. I didn't know his name. I didn't either. I'm watching Emma. I'm like, who is this guy? Is this Jeffrey Rush's son? He was like a young Jeffrey Rush. <laughs> he was so good. Yeah. And every line reading and every look was so distinct. And like he was just such a well of personality uh, behind this like pretty quiet character for most of the time. And then when he talked, it like just it t- spoke with such authority. And I don't know, like he's the emotional center of that movie, too. Yeah. Um, but then my number one is Paul Racy. Uh, that like that. He just killed me. He slayed me uh, in that yeah. movie. He's just so. Um, I can't. I I won't even try to put it into other words. Paul Racy, Sound of Metal. Yeah, he was fantastic. Um, this was tough for me. I I got really uh, hung up on smaller roles this time. As just a, a sampling of ones I I wrestled with. <laughs> so Glenn Durman and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Michael Stolberg and wait, Shirley, wait, Mark Rylance and Tri- Ma Rainey. Uh, Glenn Turman, he was, um, uh, uh, ah, what's his name? Cutter? The... No, Cutter, Cutter, I actually was giving a nomination. Oh. Uh, uh, we'll get to him in a second. But the, the piano player, um, he gives the stew monologue. Slow drag, he's the, the guy who gets... The guy who gets stabbed. Spoiler. He's from The Wire. Uh, Michael Stilberg, Mark, Mark Rylance from Trial... Of the Chicago Seven, Ray Romano, even from Bad Education, which isn't eligible because it's a TV movie. Bill Murray, and Matthew McFadden from The Assistant, Peter Dinklage, I care a lot, and Sasha Baron Cohen from Trial of But so I narrowed it all down. But I think I'm going to switch them out because I forgot about Johnny Johnny Flynn, who so impressed me in that movie. So who am I going to take out? Uh, I think I will. I, I'm sorry to do this, but I had Coleman Domingo who played Cutter in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in here. Something about his no-nonsense, or like his aggravation in trying to, to, to stay within rule, the, the rule. Something stuck with me with him. He was very but good. I'm, I'm, he was very good. Uh, and he managed to, 
make the one, two, you know what to do, like, yeah, not get as old <laughs> as it should have. That it should have, right. Um, I'm, uh, say I'm changing this up. I, I swear I'm not going to do this much. But I'm also going to drop um, John Carroll Lynch from Trial of the Chicago 7 because he was, I loved him. Just He's just very minor role, and they do something stupid with him in the script that wasn't didn't actually happen. But just watching him listen to other characters was the greatest. Hmm. Just watching him just sit there and listen to other characters while they talked. It was like, that's a fucking great actor right there. <laughs> but, I, but I'm going to take them out. I'm going to take those two guys out. Sorry, 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 sorry. So, in, in place. Um, I'm going to go Johnny Flynn from Emma because for reasons you just stated. Um, Leslie Odom Jr. from One Night in Miami. Daniel Kaluuya from uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Paul Racy, Sound of Metal. But then, and, and this is where I get really uncomfortable. <laughs> Kaluuya, Stanfield, and Judas and Black Messiah, fantastic. Dominic Fishback, Loved it so so much. So many great actors in that. But I have to say, Jesse Plemons is the one that really stuck with me. <laughs> well, Hooray well, his for white people! Hooray for white people! Hooray for... Yeah, let's, let's, let's focus on the confliction of the person who's doing things, who's contributing to the problem. <laughs> but I was... I just could not stop. I was amazed at his... Um, I was just amazed at the things he was doing... And the concessions he was making of himself and the how the character was becoming aware of the things and then watching him compartmentalize and shift things around all without saying a word. Hmm. Um, Again, and, um, listening, the act, the act of listening. Yeah, right. Exactly. And so and so those were the things that just really, really stuck with me. All that work that was going on, I really was impressed by. So he was my pick for the, for the best. Of the year. Hey, you connect with what you connect with. And I appreciate your I'm honesty. With, I guess bureaucratic racists. <laughs> Why you connect with it. was a different question. Why? <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of complexions, um, that takes us to our next category of best makeup. And hairstyling, where, and sorry, we don't have the names of the nominees here, but we have the movies, um, which include Emma. Hillbilly Elegy. Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mank. And Pinocchio. Another Pinocchio. (laughs) Who boy. All right. So, who do you think will win? Uh, um, Because I'm a pessimist, I I think (laughs) it's going to be Hillbilly Elegy. (laughs) It's really made, the only makeup that's been talked about. They made in in they made Meryl Streep look unattractive. That's impossible. <laughs> it's like when Charlize Theron looked unattractive and monster. Like you have to reward that. Exactly. <laughs> it's inconceivable that it could happen. Makeup to make someone not pretty. Hmm. That's fascinating. Um, I just have this, I have this terrible sense. That's what it's going to be. You? I, um, I am an optimist and I think, um, Emma has such a distinct, uh, look that is such a key to the personality of the movie and is such a delight 
and it's a period picture, but it still like has like a very distinct personality among period pictures. And so I like to think Emma will be recognized for that, which is also my who should win from the field. And Mank, you can't give black and white movies best makeup. You, you can't. Sorry. Oh, I don't know. That's that's who I put should win. Actually, Unless like because uh, you can prosthetics or something. Okay, give me your make your case well, for Mank. Well, because uh, like t- think of those old stories where like the uh, actors had to wear purple lipstick so that it would appear yeah, yeah. the right color, and so you, there's a science to kind of getting that right. So um, that's what I had as, as best. I had no. I just kind of out of a hat on that one. But then couldn't every black and white movie like? Isn't that true of every? Yeah, black and I guess movie? so. They, a lot of black and white movies have won in the past. You know, like before there was color. <laughs> well. <laughs> Yes, for <laughs> there was a paucity of choice there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to admit my, my thoughts to this category. Usually, I have strong thoughts about it, but this this, this year I didn't. Um, I didn't even really restruct that much by. I figured Emma would probably be in the running, but I, I just, I didn't. I don't know why it didn't affect me that much in Emma. Hmm. The two things that actually, if I may tell, I. I I cannot tell you how much I loved... It was one of the best proposal scenes I've ever seen. Where Emma is trying to... to, 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 to feel How all her game's imaginations are, are conflicting and then she has a nosebleed. Which I, I think that's from the greatest. novel. I think she gets a nosebleed in the novel. I, I wondered, but I haven't read from, it, what but... I read, from what I read, read, what I read in, that was added by the director because she has frequent stress-induced nosebleeds. Oh. And so that was just something they added. I could be and wrong. I, think I thought I read that in a summary of the of the novel. The I could be completely wrong myself. Don't know. Maybe it was someone just trying to take credit for something so, that was easily checkupable. So you liked the nosebleed makeup. That's what you're saying. I lo- yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's why you're I'll take that. it uh, at this point. Uh, what, do you have uh, any different? Do you say different than what the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences I do. Say, I do. And that Mr. Lama? is partly because Lama? I've only seen three of these movies. <laughs> And I'm only considering movies I've seen. It's not like I'm going and looking at clips and going to nominate That's based smart. on clips. It's very trustworthy. So um, so I'll go. Uh, my number five for best makeup and hairstyling is The Five Bloods for the choice oh. of not putting makeup on the, <laughs> the four bloods uh, when they're <laughs> in the flashback scenes. Like just the choice right. to not do anything and like let them be old with gray hair. Uh, was one of the most striking creative choices in that yeah. movie. Um, and a movie that had several striking creative choices, but maybe the most effective and affecting. Like, it was a really... Yeah. It said a lot that you just had them still looking like they were in their 50s and 60s in the Vietnam flashbacks. Like, it said everything about character, and it was about uh, the emotional well that the whole story draws from. Like, uh, it, it, Really, like an incredible choice, like very audacious, and so like so the the, yeah. the the choice to not use makeup is like one of the strongest choices in the movie. So, I I put that in there at number five. Um, maybe I should have put it higher because my number four is Shirley, which is just about making Elizabeth Moss. A lot of it's just like, okay, I'm susceptible to the same thing. <laughs> Elizabeth Moss, like, is just. Were you going to say? I know Elizabeth Moss is like. Being such a um, uh, uh, such a champ about willing to look unattractive, like for a role <laughs> in this and Invisible Man too, like she's just so committed 
Like she reminds me as an actress a lot of ways as Kate Winslet, but is even more willing to be unglamorous. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kate Winslet seems willing to do anything. I don't know. It's just I I really respect um, I really respected the choices in Shirley to to just yeah. go as far as they did. And uh, and then you look at pictures of Shirley Jackson, like holy shit, she looks exactly like her, you know. Yeah. Um, but it just fit character wise. Like it did. There was great character work there in the. In, yeah. in in what was going on, um, in her uh, in all of that, uh, Ma Rainey's black bottom um, for most uh, reflective bosom, <laughs> sweatiest <laughs> sweatiest uh, bosom I've ever seen in any movie, and that includes every <laughs> every movie that the Academy normally wouldn't consider. Uh, to put it that way. <laughs> Uh, it really was very like tactful. it was like another character in the movie, um, <laughs> practically, and just like Ma Rainey's makeup uh, in the whole yeah. thing. It's like the the incredibly flushed cheeks is like is that like a really strong makeup choice or is that like because it's really hot? I don't know, but it like said a lot. It it really she's a loud brash character and she's got a loud right. brash makeup look and it it all worked for me. Um, the promising young woman, I thought the. Uh, clothing choices were a major part of the the appeal um, and the distinct look to that that movie. Um, like I've seen someone call it like a Snapchat aesthetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, it it really worked for me. Uh, and my number one is Emma. Period. I'm going to pronounce it the way Victor Borga would. Emma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, which uh, was yeah. for me, hands down, the best looking movie of 2020. Hmm, that's very nice. Mine would be similar. Um, mine, uh, I, 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 I don't know if it's in any particular order, but I'm just going to say Emma, Mank, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Promising Young Woman, and Shirley. So I think we were very close. We just oh, yeah. had one or two. Very, very close. Very close. I you basically said most of what I want to say. But I mean, b- between makeup and hair and costuming, along with the in- whole role of production design that folds into what makes Promising Young Woman what it is, it's uh, um, it's very commendable. So you, what was your number one? Was it Shirley there? Um, I oh uh, yeah, I would go with Shirley. Okay, cool. That would be my that would be my 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 pick for the thing. And I Shirley. felt guilty I had it too high. <laughs> well, next up. We have what often goes hand in hand with uh, hair and makeup is best costume design. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the nominees for best costume design for 2020, the film year of 2020 Alexandra Byrne, Emma, period. Trish Somerville for Mank. Anne Roth, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Bina Daigler, I hope I'm saying that right, for Mulan. Massimo Cantini Parini for Pinocchio. Nice. All right, who's your? Who do you think's gonna win? Well, um, I'm gonna go with what I think was hands down the best looking movie of 2020, Emma, as my <laughs> will win and should win. Right. You know, it's funny. I I was thinking to myself I should be more gaga about that, but then when I actually would think about the pieces themselves that I saw, uh, I went, Yeah, you know what? I should be. <laughs> <laughs> they are. But I'm. I think I'm going to say I they're going like to go with Mank. I should like this more than I do. I think Mank's going to swing, swim, uh, sweep a lot of the technical awards. Yeah. Being that it got so many, that it probably will. It's going to be a running theme. You're going to find me 
finding excuses not to include Mank because I'm annoyed <laughs> that it got. It's like I liked Mank to get ahead of myself. It doesn't belong in like the historic list of top no, nominees. I, I got a big tirade to talk about my Mank. Okay, we'll get there. Uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, but I feel like it's probably going to get it. Now, who should win? As much as I really, I didn't see Pinocchio. Um, <laughs> That's and pr- the Mulan the, was pr- right, uh, the correct pronunciation is Pinocchio. Yeah. I'm, I was trying to do yours and I, I didn't do it. I, I did it wrong um, on purpose. Even though I, but I think I even wrong. got, I think I even got mine wrong. Um, so Emma was obviously very nice, but uh, uh, Mulan was actually quite striking. Okay, I didn't see Mulan um, or Pinocchio. I noted that the costumes were great, but. I think probably like 30% of them did feel like costumes. Okay. Um, but uh, but a, a real, I expected 100% of it to smell, feel like costumes. <laughs> so I was kind of impressed. But I, I, I have to go with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom on who should win. The shoes. So. Um, I, I almost nominated them just for the shoes. <laughs> just for the shoes. Just to go back yeah, to Joker and uh, Jojo Rabbit. Right. <laughs> right. right. Those are three great shoe movies. Great shoe movies. Fantastic. You don't often see the wingtips with the the two tone uh, finish. That's very nice. We're stabbing a man over. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> um. Now my picks are slightly bit different. Um, I would have gone with uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, mainly. That was my number six. That was the one that almost made the cut. Right. Mainly just because of the fact that one you. It was nice to see like Margot Robbie wearing clothes she'd probably want to wear. <laughs> but more importantly, that they designed clothes for female superheroes to both fight in, to not be overly sexualized, but also be feminine. And be sexy, frankly. And be sexy. Yeah, yeah, to be sexy, but not sexualized. Right. You're right. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's a difference. And um, big difference. And so, and also functional. Um, someone noted a moment when Harley Quinn tosses, um, Black Canary, the, the hair clip. Yeah. I don't remember. Is this during the final fight? There's a fight cause she's, she's got all that hair and just kind of whipping around. And then there's one moment where she just kind of tosses a hair clip to her so she can pin it back. Oh, I missed that. That's an excellent. <laughs> it's really great. That's a fantastic detail. I missed it too. And, 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 uh, when I read that, I was like, really? That's in there? I kind of, I, you know, but I, uh, but it's really, uh. That's like. That's like I'm. I'd be like having a making a point of having a scene where they show that the girls' pants have pockets. Right. <laughs> right. You exactly. Know? Like right. The practical stuff that women have to think about that men don't. Mm, you're right. Exactly. Uh, I like well, the uh, costume design of men first have cow. Long hair too, I guess. So right. Yeah. Mind. But they also have pockets. No. Uh-oh. Yeah, but they get pockets. That's <laughs> like for free. Yeah. I, I enjoyed First Cow. It looked uh, very lived in and very hodgepodge of like the mashing of different uh, cultures and time periods and, and, and changes on the cusp hmm. with remnants of the things they're changing from still there. I, I liked that. Felt very lived in and dirty. Um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, again. Uh, Mulan costuming. And Shirley, I really dug everything about... Shirley. Oh yeah, the, how did I not have Shirley on my list? 
I loved. Well put. Yeah. I loved Shirley's <laughs> outfits in that. I loved Elizabeth yeah. Moss's outfits in that movie. Um, and I would go with Shirley as okay. the winner. Well, I was wrong. Birds of Prey is my number five, but since I said it's my number six, I'm going to bump it down for Shirley. <laughs> Um, I did. I just want to give a shout out in Birds of Spray, uh, Birds of Prey, for the spray-on suspenders. At one point, Margot Robbie's wears a white T-shirt with spray paint, red suspenders. Uh, it's very funny. So, okay, so I'm going to say Shirley is number five because I love those outfits, and uh, some of Birds of Prey was kind of uh, gimmicky, but whatever. Yeah, um, sure. Although I liked it, but, I like I liked Birds of Prey a lot yeah. actually. Um, my number four is I'm thinking of ending things because. Uh, we talked about it in our last episode, but costume plays a really important character role and uh, shows the progression of, (laughs) (laughs) of the mental states of, uh, of multiple characters, um, and just looked cool. So I I might thinking of many things. My number three is first cow. Um, I agree Mm. with you on that. Like just, I kept looking at the two, um, leads neckties yeah, and just the way that they were both ratty, but also showed uh, like this attempt at not only not not so much civilization, but as gentleness. Yeah, like not gentility, but gentleness. But gentleness. You know? Yeah, and also they must have been so impractical to main to wear and maintain. Yeah, and they're where yeah, they they're are working. They're like digging and hot, chopping and, wood, and uncomfortable. And, yeah, right, and yet they still cling on to that to say no, I'm. Yeah, this is who we are. Yeah, yeah. I'm, you're not encountering a wild person here. Yeah, right. Um, uh, but not wild, like right. Not like in a heart of darkness. Like I wear the British uniform in the jungle. Like, right. It, it was more <laughs> like, um, like civilization means like society means like people taking right. care of people. Uh, my number two was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, mm-hmm. and the shoes are ninety percent of that. <laughs> I, I really want that sh- those shoes. Um, and my number one is, uh, for me, hands down, the best-looking movie of 2020, Emma, period. Oh, I thought you were going to say Mank. A period <laughs> picture with period costumes, and they put the period right in the, com- period. Uh, right in the title, <laughs> just so you knew what you were in exactly. for. I, I appreciated that, too. Awesome. Well, that was Best Costume Design. Now we're moving on to Best Documentary. Documentary? Yes. Did I write documentary like I wrote cinema topography? <laughs> um, documentary feature. Yeah. Now, this one, I don't know what it was about this year that when they made the, announced the nominations and we said we set the date to record and looked at all the movies we needed to catch up, I dove into the documentaries first. And I, the only one I haven't seen is Crip Camp. Okay. So the, uh, and I have to say... I really love all these films. I was devastated by almost all of them. I was very surprised by what wasn't nominated. I was not in the yeah. documentary mood, but I had the critics mm-hmm. lists on my watch list, and I watched a couple of them. And just with mm-hmm. the, the two I kept hearing about, Boys State and Dick Johnson is Dead, were the two I kept hearing about. And so right. the fact that neither of them was here is like really puzzled me but i haven't seen any of these so i i can't complain mm. i don't know <laughs> this this is kind of a a weird trend with the documentary category uh, whether it's purposeful or not i don't know 
But a lot of the breakthrough documentaries that really get through the public consciousness are almost never nominated. <laughs> like, um, well, like they're often uh, most noted- cheesy and bad, so that's okay. Like, True, that's but also like, like, would you be my neighbor? Which was the one that most people were talking about that year, not nominated, and also, but very moving and very meaningful. I thought. Well, there's, there's a distinction um, between. So that's an interesting discussion. Like this, the subject matter can be very engaging, but like it's not a very interestingly made. It's kind of a by right. the numbers oh. uh, documentary. Yeah, I guess so. You know, should it be nominated based on that? Like one of my favorite documentaries ever is like very by the numbers, but it was a subject that I just could not stop thinking about after I saw it. Uh, dealt about a um, a card mechanic uh, magician who's uh, 100% blind, but he does amazing card tricks. And it's like, how, oh wow, how? But he's also like a very strong personality. But there's nothing, mm. there's nothing about the way that documentary was made that's special at all. But I just mm. couldn't stop thinking about this guy, you know. So that's yeah. You know, like, what do you when you're rewarding? Best documentary. What are you rewarding? I guess is right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, there's also there's a lot to there's a lot in that discussion yeah. for sure. But maybe we'll get into it. So, so the the nominees are Collective from Romania, Crip Camp, The Mole Agent, My Octopus Teacher, and Time. Um, if you, if you haven't seen any of these, I take it you're not going to wager on any of these. <laughs> Um, I'll wager, uh, oh. I'll say time cause I don't know. Yeah. I'm pr- I'm, I'm going to wager. I think time's going to win too. That's the other one I kept hearing about, uh, right. that I didn't see. Time, time is really affecting, really makes you think a lot about how messed up our prison system and its effect on how its effect on the African American culture affects the whole culture and families specifically. So it's really something, um, so that makes when I say who should win, that's weird to say should. <laughs> I want them all to win. But I don't think I've had a more devastating experience than watching Collective, hmm. um, which is about the uh, – do you remember back in 2015 there was a nightclub in Romania called Collective that caught fire and it made global news because a lot of people died oh. inside the um, nightclub because it, it the, all the deregulation had caused the um, – Nobody checked up. They didn't mandate any fire exits, really. This movie follows these journalists who are following a level of corruption that permeates the whole government and hospital and healthcare system. These journalists are chasing why burn victims who only had like 10 to 15% burns on their body, why they all died after the fire, months after the incident. And uh, the things they uncover and the things that they show, something that will haunt me to the day I die, and not in a good way. So, But it's such an important movie to watch the journalist and this new health minister come in and kind of find out why and how. It's, it's a tremendous movie, and it, it, it's, it's not only vital for, I think, the journalist, um, Catalin, oh, I know his name. And it's escaping me. He's on some show and he basically says, when the press bows down to authorities, the authorities will mistreat the citizens. This always happens worldwide. And it happened to us. And that was Catalin Tolatan from uh, who was investigating this whole story. Yes, it's an ode to journalism. Yes, it's an ode to honesty. It's, it's, a, it's also a harbinger of, uh, it's a warning 
to um, the rest of the world. And in the echoes of what's happening in America, in our government, is resonates greatly. So it's 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 a fantastic movie. Um, I did not see Crip Camp. The mole agent is so wonderful. I can't tell you how much it's so pleasant and so moving. And it's definitely in, in that movie is about a um, a private detective hires an 83 year old man to go into a nursing home in Chile because his client, a woman who has her mother there, is suspecting that she's being abused. So they want to hire a detective, to a, a, a mole, to go in and check himself in and observe. And so most for, for having the whole movie basically be old people sitting in chairs looking at each other, <laughs> it's lovely and life-affirming and humorous and touching. And it's, it's, um, it's a really good movie. It's fantastic. My Octopus Teacher, we had kind of a transcendent experience watching it. Long ago, at the beginning of the pandemic of Netflix, that's your populist movie right there that everyone's probably will have seen and gone, ooh, but it earns its stripes. It's, it's an octopus. It can have stripes. It can have spots. It can have whatever it wants. I we need to watch that one because I love octopuses. You'll love them even more after this. It's, yeah, it, to, even to, though they're part of the subject of my forthcoming sci-fi novel in which octopuses, ravens, and ants join forces to wipe out humanity. Wow. I don't know why I'd have any questions about this story. (laughs) Why? Because humanity is threatening them, obviously. It's environmental. (laughs) Still working on a good title. If anyone has any suggestions, email them to youwatchitwrong at happypanic.net with the release form, please. That sounds awesome. Um... So yeah, so so it's a good crop. My if I if it were my choice, uh, I would nominate Collective. Dick Johnson is dead. Such a good movie. Feels good, man. The which is a documentary that I saw at the beginning of the pandemic that I realized this is. I think I just saw the best movie of the year, and it's pretty much stayed pretty close to that. Hmm. But it's not your number uh, one documentary feature. What's that? But it's not your number one documentary feature. It is. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, I you were I'm not running order. these. I don't. I didn't order them. Sorry. So oh, it feels good, man. Would, would uh, you the order mole. Them, please. Okay. 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 Effect. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Um, I hate putting them. Well, maybe I'll put my octopus teacher last. I don't know. My octopus, my octopus teacher. Then the mole agent. Then Dick Johnson is dead, which is weird because that's feels like it should be higher. Uh, then collective, and then feels good, man would be my. Okay. You made the form. You put one, two, three, four, five. You're the one who... I put them in alphabetical order, if you noticed. (laughs) The nominee, but you have them... Why did you number them? Oh, okay. (laughs) Because I was going to... I was was looking at them the same way. I'm going to put them in alphabetical order, and then I'm going to tell you what I I want. I didn't didn't think about ranking them, which is weird, because I ranked everything. Okay, you're opening the envelope at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I see what you're doing. That's what I was doing, right. I'm doing Casey Kasem. So you go ahead. Do your case case him. Uh, okay. Um, I saw very few documentaries, so I'm going to go ahead and throw in uh, concert films because that's the <laughs> okay. only way I can hit five, uh, even though I don't believe they actually qualify. So um, my number five is David Byrne's American Utopia, I've in which uh, Spike Lee points a camera at the stage. He points several <laughs> cameras at the cage. There's direction and editing happening. It's not, at the stage. I'm 
I don't mean to downplay. It's a good concert film. Um, uh, Hamilton, uh, also a concert film. It's, it's a filmed play. It's not really a movie um, or a documentary. Number three would be John Lewis' Good Trouble. Mm. Uh, good, good subject matter. It's mostly by the numbers. There's a, a one conceit where they have him uh, viewing old footage of himself, like on a soundstage. Yeah. The thing's projected, and it's, it's good, and it cuts back and forth between his old footage and then him uh, preparing for uh, Obama's uh, inauguration. Yeah. Um, it's good. Um, it's a good movie. The, the third best uh, of three documentaries I saw. Uh, my number two would be Derek Delgadio's In and of Itself, which is oh, mostly a filmed play, but I'm putting it in the documentary category because it does have – a little bit, a little smattering of autobiographical documentary footage. Um, but then also it's giving you a sense of the number of performances and the variation among performances of this show um, by, you know, Frank Oz directed it. And so it, it does take on like, as a, it's, it's also a document of the way this performance was done hmm. um, in addition to just being a film of the performance itself. So in that sense, it's kind of a documentary. Um, but then my number one is Dick Johnson is Dead, which um, I wanted to love more. It mostly, like a great, like I was saying about Delt, um, which I really mm. recommend, uh, like a great documentary just like makes you feel like you really know the subject on a very deep level. And yeah. I never really felt like I did like I didn't like Dick Johnson is that is about Dick Johnson. It's about the f- the filmmaker who um, his name I didn't type down, uh, and so I can't say it. Um, but it's more about like the dynamic between them than about either of them in a sense. Mm. And it had me thinking more about myself and like my relationship with my father than about them and their relationship, which is good. Yeah. Like you good. know, it was like very powerful that way. Um, but it also made me feel like a little distant from it at the same time for being like really mm. good and uh, like formerly very interesting um, and moving at the same time. So I liked it a lot, um, but very unusual as a documentary for me personally in that sense. Yeah, it was. Uh, I agree with all those things. I, I would also say that like you kind of get to the idea most of the way through that you're like, oh, this real. I mean – she even says it pretty much straight up. This is really more about the filmmakers, you know. She's yeah. about her. It's about her, yeah. It's about her trying to reconcile with the idea that one day her dad's not going to be there. But it was, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed that movie greatly. Um, all right, so we're, let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with best sound. Sounds good. <laughs> And now, it's time for Oscar's New Nose, the segment where I espouse factoids and trivia about Oscar history that you probably haven't heard of yet, or maybe already knew. Who knows? Maybe you know? (laughs) I knew it. See if this Oscar tidbit is, for you, a new no or an old new. Before nominees were announced, John Legend's song, Never Break, was said to be on this year's shortlist for Best Original Song for the documentary feature, Giving Voice, 
while it did not receive a nomination, it is interesting to note that Legend actually had written the song for a different film, David Fincher's Mank. However, after hearing the lyrics, the studio felt a different direction was required, and Legend repurposed the song with new lyrics to much better effect for the documentary. Here is an early demo of his song with the original lyrics. Once was a guy named Orson On his first film foray He made a guy named Herman Write down everything to say Not just the actor's dialogue But a story that compels He breathed his soul into it But the credit went to Wells As a movie buff you think that'd be enough A dishy tale from old Burbank So why don't I love Mank? You'd think that I'd love Mank It's not a masterpiece, but I didn't think it stank You'd think that I'd love Mank Just for its cinematography I swear this ain't a prank I think it's just okay Think that I love No, no, it's it's great great. Something's missing But it's Fincher I'm more than a bit embarrassed Wait, can you play back this tape? Yeah, what do you mean, John? Does anyone else hear that sound Like steam trying to escape? No, still rolling Amanda Seyfried's so good And Gary Oldman's at full power I wish he had one for this one And not for Darkest Hour This film shows how people Give away freedoms For a carrot on a string So why don't I love Mank? It's themes I highly rank But Citizen Kane it's not More like Citizen Kane My God how much he drank So here's to alcoholism And heroes who don't Engage until too late Can can you hear those? That's right, this Weirdo air blasts They're alternating Left, right channels Like someone playing On an iron lung Really? Can no one hear that? It's so distracting Really? No one? No That organ grinder tale Of who'll always prevail My dejected spirits say So why don't I love Mank? Cause you'd think that I'd love Mank The style over function The culprit I should thank Why don't I love Mank? Was never big on Fincher Perhaps that's where I break Cinephiles today It's just I don't Just, 
thinking how it gets involved the politics to suppress the worker. John, do you realize your mic's on? Actively worse than all of that would make the worker choose to do that, like John. choose to give them that power. It's uh, so much so stuff. Like when Arnold Howard like says, "Movies John. make movies to keep the product." Okay. You uh, the product, you movie, and then he we're gonna send some money in there. That, you know, they, that they should just uh, give up more for him and they do the it. Uh, I mean, it just it that's so it's. John. I don't know why I don't like it. This is not. It's, it's, I don't know. I just don't know. And we're back with best sound. Siggy, lay them on me. Best sound. We have combined sound mixing and sound editing so that we don't have to explain or remember what the difference is. I like that. I like it. Just sound overall. Do and I don't, but because, you know. I, I particularly remember our discussion about Ford v. Ferrari and 1917, how like in one movie it was like there was the sound and the sound uh, sound mix and sound editing. And we were like, we had very specific things to say about both. <laughs> <laughs> That's not like cinematography. They do camera angles and lenses versus Best colorist. lighting and yeah, timing. And yeah, right. Like it's yeah. just like overall sound. Like that's fine. That's okay. fine, I guess. Okay, and the nominees are Greyhound, mm. <laughs> Mouthful of Food. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you read a, you stole it's the... It's sound. You didn't alternate with me last time, so I'm going to steal this one. So oh, I'm you're right. There. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And the nominees are Greyhound, Mank, News of the World, Soul, and Sound of Metal. I gonna go first i think good because i was drinking <laughs> um i think it's pretty easy call it's this movie where sound is like the most central element and plays a character role and really puts you in the character's point of view and that's sound of metal was um that there's my will win and should win i'm uh, again i'm optimistic i am um, i agree um the knee-jerk reaction is to go, well, it's too easy to go over the movie. It's about sound, but it's about sound. <laughs> and <laughs> the sound informed all the imp- uh, performances. It informed one of the more heartbreaking sequences of the year. It, yeah, it's I, that would be my will win and should win as well. Now, there is something to say about... I would have thought Mank would have gone there would be in the mix in the running just because it is in the running of the I know I know but I mean like I would in a who will win kind of thing oh. because so much of, uh, of the production design was all around to try to make it feel like a 19 like a movie from that era and while they succeeded like like the outdoor scenes sound like their soundstage scenes yes. you know I loved that and it's it's great I think it was probably the wrong choice to make, but that wasn't their department. They were executing the choice. So I'm not well, going to crap on them that for that. But um, I think you have to, you know, if someone tells you to animate a turd, you don't <laughs> nominate the turd for best animation. That's probably because they did a it good certainly job. Doesn't, it certainly doesn't help. That's yeah. for sure. And and Soul, I was glad to see it nominated because weirdly, animated movies are hardly ever nominated for sound work. When, hello, <laughs> I think that's probably a really important element. I know. I need to explain to me why. Like, what about Soul? In the sound department, was special that wasn't the score. 
Um, well, I, 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 I mean, when I think about when I think about that movie and sound, I think about the scene where he comes home after the gig at his piano. If I recall, there's no music in that scene. It's just it's just him in his house with the items he pulls from his pocket, and it's very the sound really makes that scene very uh, emotional. I think, but okay. It's just one scene, but um, if I were nominating it, I would be going, uh, my, uh, oh, God, I gotta put these in order. <sighs> okay, so I'm going to go Greyhound. Um, so this is what you think will win? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I thought I said that already. Sound of Metal for both. Sound okay. of Metal will, will win and should win. Oh, so you, you're putting uh, Greyhounds on your list. I didn't see Greyhounds, so I don't know. Yeah, Greyhound. Anything about it. I, when I saw it listed as a nomination, I went, yeah, you know what? The sound is probably the only thing I nominated. Submarine movie, movie, right? Or Destroyer. Yeah, so. yeah Destroyer movie. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot to contend with in that movie. The sound is, uh, that's not a job I'd want. Um, it's pretty robust. So I guess I'd put Greyhound and then Soul. And then Nomadland, the quiet in that movie really was well done. Hmm. It's hard to do quiet well. It really is. Yeah. It's, it's one of the hardest things to, to do, I think. Uh, I'm thinking of any things the sound impressed me in that, particularly from our last conversation talking about they got those windshield wipers to never be a distraction and play into the scene. <laughs> Pretty great. Deserves a nomination. But the number one would be Sound of Metal for sure. Well, my top five, my number five is Mank. I I really liked the what? I I know I really liked the artifice of yeah. of the echoey outdoor. It, it's my number dialogue. six. So yeah, um, it's right there. I, I thought it, I thought it really worked. Um, I thought the artifice was a big part of that movie, uh, and it yeah. all, all I thought it all worked together. I I think the artifice, the creation of the artifice was superb. I think it got in the way. Of really feeling that movie though. Hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, my number four and my number four is a quiet movie, First Cow. I really loved the, the sound in First mm. Cow. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the milking scene. Like it's just such a just a, such a coaxing, gentle nighttime, but also like uh, tense. And yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought the sound work in, in First Cow was really good. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, she Dies Tomorrow. With sound Ooh, I want to see that plays a big part in creating the that movie's all tone is one hundred percent tone um mm-hmm. it's like once you get the premise like it's all about just maintaining that tone and sound is such a huge part of before the, before you know what it is you're seeing, the sound is playing a huge part in keeping you in in the world keeping you engaged uh in what's going on uh, so i I gotta credit that one. My number two is I'm thinking of ending things. Um, the whole movie, but mostly the car, the two long car rides. I thought the, the yeah. use of sound and like we said, like the camera moves inside the car and outside the car, the sound, like the diegetic sound moves inside and outside the car. You get the wind, you get the windshield wipers and the way that all like kept the tension high, even when nothing yeah. was happening was huge in that movie. Uh, and then my number one is sound of metal. The, I mean, the sound was a character, um, as, Someone who is experiencing hearing loss, uh, who just had a CT scan to figure out why yeah. I'm experiencing uh, hearing loss, um, like that—the heartbreaking sound. I'm assuming you mean when he 
gets the implants turned yeah. on and like he thought he'd be able to hear and it sounds like shit. Like yeah. I'm I'm not gonna be able to enjoy <laughs> anything I hear with these things. How everything um, just kind of the realization that everything he was striving for is never coming back. And he, what he just spent to try to get that to come back. Yeah, what he just sacrificed. Was, uh, yeah. Like when, you know, when my so, tinnitus, as I prefer to pronounce it, uh, started, I didn't listen to music for six months. It was just, I couldn't get uh, no pleasure from it, you know. Um, it was too depressing and aggravating. Um, so that, you know, I find that really affecting uh, yeah. on a personal level. But I've habituated, so I do better now. Oh, good. I'm very happy to hear that because I'm really <laughs> sad right now. I don't want to move on. <laughs> uh, oh, I should also say um, all of these nominees are uh, from films after I upgraded my sound bar. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. It matters. <laughs> um, take us through uh, Best Production Design, please. Absolutely. Your nominees are for Best Production Design. The Father, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, and Tint. <laughs> Excuse me, I think that's Tenant. Sorry. <laughs> to who will win? Who do you think will win? To who will win? Uh, this, is like, this is like the easiest call. Is it? I well, think you, so. You tell me then, and then I'll tell you if Mank. you're right. They made they made. Right. Current Hollywood look like old Hollywood. That's like that's like, <laughs> it's a, like making a pretty act. It's like pulling out a giant lollipop <laughs> for the Academy. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I think Mank will will probably win. It, the upset there would probably be the father. Uh, just how, because when I saw the father afterwards, then I went, oh yeah, definitely production design. Because I was when I saw it on the list, I was like, why would that get it? <laughs> And then I went, oh, yeah, because oh, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It, it so integrates into the story. Yeah. But then I realized that's a dumb statement because every movie's production design is. <laughs> I know. But it's like, that's your first, it's your right. entree into the fact that you're in this character's internal state of mind. You know, like when the backsplash changed color, it's like, right. oh, so that's what this movie's doing. Okay. Right. Uh, we are living facts that are then suddenly going to change on us. Yeah. Just like him. Right. Yeah. So uh, it's either going to be Mank or possibly the father. And um, I would think who should win, probably Mank or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, honestly, because I really enjoyed looking at that hmm. film. I would say uh, my pick to win would be Mank, but who I who should win, I say the father, because it was so integral to the storytelling of yeah. uh, in that movie. You had to be good at keeping track of things in yeah. that. <laughs> It did. Because you're just going to reuse props all over the place. You just need to rearrange them and recolor them and remember what, yeah. Yeah. A lot had, of logistics um, in that. Yeah. It, 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 it played the role that, like, I'm thinking of ending things played in that uh, mm. inarticulate moment. Um, <laughs> the weirdness was the goodness. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. <laughs> I am a movie. You're having a Wade moment. <laughs> I'm a podcaster about movies. <laughs> I know how to talk about them. Okay. I'm going to run through my uh, top five. Please. Uh, in reverse order, my number five best production design, First Cow. I thought that little hut they live in has so much, you know, distinct personality from the first second you see it. Just like every little weird 
odd angled shelf and what was on it was such a clear choice. That whole like encampment that they're in mm-hmm. uh, just like felt so real um, and distinct. I I I dug the world, uh, uh, the little the little tiny world of that movie. Um, number four is I'm thinking of ending things. Just the, mm. you know, just the poster, the wallpaper behind her. It's the opening shots. It's like oh, I forgot it's about like that. That, one. that house is becomes a, a yeah. character in the movie. Um, very good, and the ice cream, uh, Tulsi Town, just mm-hmm. you know, very, very distinct. Something out of a dream. Uh, my number three is Mank. Primarily for the abandoned zoo. One of my favorite scenes in that movie is uh, is the two of them, Mank and uh, Marion Davies. Is that her name? Mm-hmm. Character? I don't know. Uh, Amanda Seyfried. Their, their long conversation in the abandoned zoo and the fountain and everything. And just, I, 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 I did really dig the, the look of that movie a lot. Um, so that's my number three. Number two is The Father. Um, because of the character work that the, the the setting does, and I thought it was like the layout of the home uh, of, of the flat was really well thought out. I like it at the end of the movie. You feel like you could close your eyes and draw a map of the space that you were that you spent right. in, and I, I really felt that with the father. And my number one um, is. The only Zoom virtual backdrop that I have gone back to, <laughs> and is now my go-to. Uh, and it is from, uh, for my money, hands down, the best-looking movie of 2020, Emma, period. You really had it for Emma, didn't you? I thought, you know, the look, of, it was the best-looking movie of the year. What can I say? Like, through and through. It's like uh, all those like candy-colored pastel interiors. Like, every room had its own personality. I went mm. and, like, read the, uh, a really cool blog post about that house and... How, how each room looked before and after they did the set design and like the story of how the owners of the house like forced them to put it back even though – well, the husband forced them to put it back. <laughs> he wanted his muted colors back even though the wife wanted to keep it and like this very sad story behind that. I'm like, that house, they made that house look awesome. You should have kept it like that. I, I, it doesn't match my interior world. And then when they go to uh, what's her face, uh, um, the not so well off family's home, and like just that interior, I, I loved. I I loved all the the spaces that you spent time in. In, in Emma, I really I really dug it a lot. Oh, I just remembered. Ah, oh, I won't remember it later. It's something I didn't include in best lines. It's really best line reading. But when Mrs. It's uh, who Miranda. Miranda Hart, yeah. who play who's the one that talks a lot? Yes, What's her Miranda name? Hart. Yeah, um, when she you'll know why Emma I know that name it, in a little bit. I know, but when but when I was thinking of her character name, I don't remember her character name. But when she bites them and them over, to, and everyone's just sitting there silent, and then she just goes, "This is not pleasant." <laughs> but like the way she says it, because you know what she's meaning. Like she's trying to say, "This is not pleasant, isn't it? It's pleasant, right?" But it just comes out, this is not pleasant. It just hangs there. It's so lovely. Okay, so what are your top five for best production design? Um, my number five is First Cow, for the same reasons that you stated. Um, my number four is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Hmm. Not because anything's particularly striking, but um, for a very low-budget movie, that never felt like a low-budget movie. That's true. That's true. It it there was never a moment where I thought, oh, they did this because they don't have money. 
And I think that's a real credit to that team. Okay. Grading on a um, curve, but I'll, I'll, I'll catch it. <laughs> um, then my number three is Mank, because it's, it's Mank. That it's, was my it, number it, three. It's really look good. Yeah. Uh, and my number two is The Father. Guess that sounds starting to sound familiar. It does. Uh, but my number one is Shirley. Oh, that that's a great part. That's I another heavily considered, heavily considered by me. That's another movie where, where, where you know, for being a mostly housebound or limited locations, period, not a huge budget movie, just so rich. Yeah, oh, it was just really great. Yep, no, I totally really agree. It. It's, it's a great choice. I did, I did really love the production design in that movie. So mm-hmm. thank you for recognizing it. Sure. We're going to go on to Best International Feature, the rechristened, redubbed, renamed mm. Best International Fe- Feature. I like, I, like, I like this. I like the yeah. way they do it now. I only saw one of these, but we'll read through the nominees, starting with the one I saw. Another round submitted by Denmark. Better Days, surrounded by Hong Kong. Surrounded. Uh, better Days, submitted by Hong Kong. Collective, hailing from Romania. The Man Who Sold His Skin, from Tunisia. And Coabadis Aida, I guess. Oh, Is that yeah. Spanish, or is that Bosnian? Uh, it's, no, it's not Spanish. I don't know. It's, yeah. Bosnia and Herzegovina, but it looks Spanish. I don't know. All right, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go. I did not see Better Days or The Man Who Sold His Skin. Okay, well you saw three. But of I these. saw the others. So that's good. I did. I saw Quovetas uh, Ada today actually, and maybe I'm still just riding the high from it. If you want to call it a high, um, that's an amazing film. Really? Okay. Oh boy. I was not very adventurous. All the f- international films I watched this past year were old ones, uh, mm. so I. I <laughs> I do remember when we said, okay, we got, when the nominations were announced, there were 19 nominated films that I hadn't seen. And I go, well, 11 of these I really want to see, and the rest I can probably let go. I'll probably only get to seven of them and be all right. But I did pretty good. So we, we committed, said we got to watch a bunch of movies before we, came, before we record. And then we both started to get the hanker in to see old movies. I know. <laughs> it's like, dude, I got to see an old movie. Sometimes you just gotta stretch your palate a little bit. You yeah, know? I saw the Gray Fox. It was great. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, that's not really old. It's eighty one, eighty two. So that's that's old to other people. Yeah, I know. Because we're old to other people. To other people. This is changing for me today, and I'm wondering if it's like I had, I had said I think who will win probably another round, and yeah. who it's the one as much as I. About. That's right. what I was talking about. But who should win as much as I love another round? I, I should win Collective. I think it should probably take both awards, really. It's so important. Collective's like in the Honeyland slot. That right. Really good documentary. But like another round, the director got nominated for Best Director. That's like, yeah. so it's a shoe-in to win, right? It's pretty much a shoe-in. This is, but, this, this is almost easy. This is almost guaranteed money on this. Uh, yeah, but Quo Vadis Ada. When I think about it, it was a rough watch. But when you're watching it, it's so engaging because it's all about the Bosnian war and genocide that happened in 1995. Ada, a UN translator who is trying to, was working with the UN to work with this Serbian army that's coming in and trying to bomb this town. And so all the people flee, 30,000 people flee to this UN bunker and they can't all fit. 
And basically, this is a movie about, one, a mother trying to protect her kids and family. And the lead actress, uh, she's incredible. And um, so much agency and so much, what a performance. Then that's all the movie's also about how when someone's trying to follow the rules and we have to follow the rules, otherwise awful things happen, when the other party is not following those rules, they'll just do whatever they want. Right. And and it's there like has the, to be a point. The Democratic and Republican Party. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so infuriating when you watch genocide. this movie. So far. How everybody... Yeah, so far. Any kind of scale. Right. Uh, And so, like, how the UN can't do anything because they're having to follow rules and they just take that army at its word and they just always do whatever they want. And as a result, mass murder occurred. It is... Sounds like a bummer. And and honestly, it is. But it's, it's, it's quite an amazing film to watch. I really recommend it. Well, now I want to hear um, your top five uh, that you would nominate for Best International Feature. Mine's easy. I only saw one, and it was really good, another round. So let me hear yours. Uh, number five, uh, House of Hummingbird from South Korea. Is um, that a, a human house or a bird house? This one, no. Green uh, house. Human house. Greenhouse? House of Hummingbird. What? A greenhouse? No. What kind of house? House. House. Just a house. House of Hummingbird. So like a human's house, but hummingbirds are in it? No, there's no hummingbirds in the movie. <laughs> oh. Hummingbird Silly is me. basically Hummingbird is basically referring to this young girl's it's very metaphorical. life at this stage in her life. Right, exactly. Okay. Um, and I think my number four would be Bacurau, which is a, a great genre blending movie from Brazil. It's 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 something. I'm not even gonna say anything, but it's really something to see. Um, my number three would either be Cuvetis, uh, Ada, or Collective. I'm going to just go with the Bosnian movie for number three. And number two would be... I don't know. It hurts. It hurts. There's nothing on the line. I spent six straight hours today making sure that my rankings I could live with. I guess I'm going to say two is Collective and one is another round for right now. It just, it feels like Collective is so much more important, but... But another round is crafted in a way that's so so hard to deny. It's a finely crafted, small batch, artisan film. I, I, absolutely. Yeah, I really, I really liked another round. But we'll uh, talk more about that later. Here's a big, here's a big one. Here's one to big category. If anyone who's fallen asleep, this one is here to goose you back up and to wake you back up. Glamour. Names you'll recognize. Best Supporting Actress. This is a stacked... This was a really stacked yeah. category. It's, it's It always is. It is. Uh, well, because the best female roles are often written small. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sad, sadly, sadly. That wasn't a pleasurable laugh. That, that was you know, just a laugh of recognition. Yeah. That, <laughs> <sighs> there's, there's more supporting roles for uh, women than there are lead roles, at least good ones. But there, this year was a bit. Was I saw a much bigger influx of these, of better roles, movies centered around women, movies written and directed by women. I want to say, women auteurs had a great fucking year. They certainly did. Men got to step up if they want to keep up with the women this year. After this year, <laughs> absolutely, hands down, one hundred percent. Okay, all right. 
the nominees for Best Supporting Actress are Maria Bakalova from Barrett Subsequent Movie Film. Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy. Olivia Coleman, The Father. Now, is it Amanda Seyfried or Seyfried? I think it's Seyfried, but I can't say I know. Then I'm going to get some comments about my song. So Amanda Seyfried from Mank. And uh, I, I've heard this pronounced. I did not study it. Yujung Yaun from Minari. Uh, so what do you think? Who's going to get it? Um, you have a, a very colorful character who cuts against the grain, who suffers a medical malady, and so you see them act the role before and after the, the medical malady in a heartwarming um, and uh, surprising tale. So for me, it's an easy call, Yojung Yaun for Minari. I do think so. She's gonna. She's the front runner. I again. I've got that kind of thing of like, here we go. It's gonna be hillbilly elegy again. <laughs> <laughs> I fear it, but I do think. Uh, I do think that uh, she will take it for for Minari. It was a yeah. You're exactly right. So it's pretty much slam dunk. No, I did not see Borat subsequent movie film, so I can't uh, or hillbilly elegy. But I did see the other three. Yeah, I, I didn't see hillbilly elegy, so I really shouldn't be talking too down on it, but. Um, I did see Borat's subsequent movie film. I, 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 I do have a lot to say about it, but a lot of it is a shrug. Yeah. Um, she's great. She, she does show that she's got as much, if not more, balls than Sasha Baron Cohen even. She's, mm. uh, she's pretty amazing. Um, her, <laughs> what she has to do isn't that great. Does she show them to her brother and say, you will never get these? You will never get these balls? <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay. Um, but the the constant um, self-degradation of her femininity does really just get get troublesome. Not troublesome, but like it wears on you, even though it's there for a point. Um, she's fantastic. I, I'm so glad she's nominated, but also I'm glad that a comedic performance is getting recognized for yeah, a change. This is great. We need more of that. We need more of that. We need more of that. Yeah. However, I will say that... Um, Olivia Coleman broke my heart. She's her performance in the father is just, you got a thing. She's already like has one foot in your soul. She does, yeah. man. I, I, I would give an ornament amount of cash to um, just have her read the phone book. I mean, I love that woman. I just, I think I frequently say, can she just do everything forever? Always from here on out. She's the best. Well, I look forward to hearing where she is on your top five. So, <laughs> well, do you want to hear now, or do you want to yeah. give me yours? No, I want to hear All right. yours. Uh, my number five is uh, uh, Gina Rodriguez from Kajillionaire. I was disappointed in the movie. I really expected to love it, and in a movie filled with just amazing actors, Gina Rodriguez. Something about it. Something. She had a part that was kind of quizzical, but. She made me believe that she wanted to be there. She was just a huge dwell of positive energy in a movie that had none. <laughs> I mean, from a characters that had no positive energy. Okay. I she just see came this, in so and know. was this woo. So like she was really something in that movie. So I, I, I couldn't I couldn't deny cool. that I thought she needed and to be there. What's her name? Uh, Gina Rodriguez. Okay. She's um from the show Jane Jane the Virgin, I think. Oh, all right. She was on that. Did not see that either, but um, I know who she is. This is tough. I don't know who's next. I'm going to go with Odessa Young from Shirley. 
Ah, I wanted okay. to put her in best actress category, but it's really kind of her movie. Sort of. That's a that's another one of those tough calls, right? It really it's is a smaller role, but it is the that's who yeah. you take the journey with her, right? Yeah, and she does have like a big growth moment at the end. I mean, she has a definite arc. Yes, you know, yeah, she really does. And and um, she impressed me on how much she carried in that movie, not just of showing that her character was someone who had a rich interior life, who was a sexual being, who was an intellectual being, who was a societal being, but then at the same time embodying the period that she was living in. She wasn't in contrast to it. Yes. But and she yeah, she embodied that time. These are fantastic observations. This is all really great. Yeah. No, I I thought it was the sexiest, like the sexiest role in the sense of one owning on one's own sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that I saw. Yeah. And and the way she reacted when Michael Stolberg touched her was of an amazingly well calculated societal move of how to how to react in a way that wouldn't offend the powerful man. Yeah. Or the perceived powerful man. And keep the tone light, but also kind of keeping your own identity. Uh, it was really amazing. And you're right. I, she did a really fantastic job of conveying intelligence without ever seeming out of step in a time right. where she knew the expectations of her and she wasn't going to try to fight against them. Yeah, too many times yeah. we see people who are portraying people of another era go, oh, they just didn't know better. And it's like, ah, uh, I bet you they didn't like it. <laughs> I mean, in that sense, she reminded me a lot of my mother who... Yeah. I'm, I'm a feminist primarily because she's my mother and she was like the strongest person I knew as a child. Mm-hmm. But she is not a feminist. She is firmly a fan of the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. but she's the smartest person I knew, like for the longest time. Um, right. uh, but was, someone I, who never went to college, like you know, who yeah. was that? Someone had a great tweet today uh, that said, um, "I got to find out who this is to quote them." She, she said, um, uh, "Boy, it's really embarrassing that men make more than we do." I mean, have you met a man? <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Right. And she, yeah, I mean, it's like she knows that she's smarter than her husband in this movie. Yeah. And also knows that that makes no difference. Knows that it makes no difference. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, she, no, she conveyed all that very well. That's a great choice. Yeah, she knocked it out of the park. Number three is Dominique Fishback from Judas and the Black Messiah. Now, I did carry a great love of her coming from her last movie I saw her in, Night Comes On. Like, I seen so her. I was already on her court, like, oh, she's in this, great. This was my introduction to her. And I really, really liked her in this. Um, she grew. We watched her kind of come out of her shell. She started as one uh, in one, but then it showed herself. I don't know. I really liked her in this. And I really, um, being the vessel for which we see the tragedy that happens to Fred and what happens to her by extension is just, it's just, it's a heartbreaking. I thought she was very intriguing. I had a hard time getting a read on her, though. It was just, mm. I don't know. I, I didn't connect that deeply with the performance, but I liked, I definitely want to see more of 
of her. Mm-hmm. I thought she was very cool. Check out the movie Night Comes On. She's re- it's it's really oh that's on my list. It's a really beautiful this movie. Um, my number two is Olivia Coleman from The Father. I think it's self-explanatory. I just went through that before. <laughs> so the work she does in that is amazing. But my number one from House of Hummingbird, um, the actress Kim Se Byuk plays a um, tutor, a teacher, a mentor that we would all want to have. And she conveyed so much with so little effortlessly. And I, it, it's a performance that has stuck with me for a long time. Cool. Uh, and uh, I really loved it. All right. Well, my top five, my number five is Olivia Coleman, uh, the father. I've been seeing a lot of Olivia Coleman. We watched uh, Fleabag uh, <laughs> recently. And so this, for me, this was a step down from Fleabag. Like she was such a <laughs> soaring character uh performance in that movie um but it's still good like yeah you're right um i'll I'll talk more about the father later but i I can't fault her she was great i mean she's Mm. she is always great Uh, my number four is ricky lindholm like the these next four are just the ones that stuck with me like not the ones i I think are the best but the ones that i just thought about the most afterwards Uh, yeah she ricky was on my list for the longest time for that reason um I'm so glad she's on your list. She doesn't have that many lines in this movie, but she's such a presence in it. And which movie is this? This is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Uh, yes! Which, so um, go back to that episode and we talk at length about how great Ricky Lindholm is. Okay. My number three is Amanda Seyfried from Mank, who I thought she owned every frame that she occupied in that movie. She's mm. such a magnet. I've never, I confess, I never thought anything of her before. Mm-hmm. I've seen her in things, and I'm like, oh, whatever, just another pretty face. And this one, I thought she was great. She's such a such a such charisma, such a magnet. Like you believe someone could spend yeah. their fortune on her <laughs> to keep her, and you believe that she really loves this guy. You know, yeah. This, and this incredibly improbable romance. She just seems like a kept woman. Um, you really feel. Like, she does a great job of creating a... And the script does, too, and the direction does, too. But I think she does a great job of creating a space between her and the portrayal of her, like, avatar in Citizen Kane and mm. to make you believe, make you believe that she actually loves this guy, Hurst, and that she yeah. she stays with him because she wants to, which, right. beyond all probability... And you see very little of them together. Like, it's not be it's not right. like the dynamic of her and Charles Dance is her talking about him. Yeah. That sells it. Yeah, it's a, usually that's the kind of thing they go, this is all in your head. But no, she sold it. Yeah. yeah. So it's, there's, there's tons of charm and charisma there. But there's like, she's, yeah, she sells like, this, she makes you believe this emotional stuff that she's just talking about. I thought it was a great performance. Um, number two, Miranda Hart. From Emma, period. <laughs> who yeah, uh, reminded me in the best way of Shelley Duvall, <laughs> who starts out so annoying and you completely sympathize with Emma for not wanting to have to endure her anymore. And by the <laughs> end, you're so on her side. Yeah. You know, and you're like, <laughs> which, like, like shame on anyone, including me. Like in real life, I would yeah. not be able to endure her and shame on me. Like I, she right, made yeah. me rethink how I need to treat people like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
like that you just need to have patience for people who are tedious and boring but are good <laughs> you know yeah and it's like, lovely you want those people in your life and you should invite them and you should seek them out um, yes uh, i thought it was a i thought it was such a good performance uh and then number one is uh for me one of the most distinct roles characters i saw this year is yojung yaun in minari mm. who um reminded me so much of my own grandmother <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's her background is couldn't be more different, her circumstances are very different, um, but really reminded me of my grandma, and uh, I really like she really lived in my head. Um, yeah. After after that movie was long over. The first time you see her, truly affected by something, the boy the young boy believes. It's like who would tell a child that, <laughs> you know. Just suddenly mad, and then 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 those all those maternal instincts kick in, and then she's just all. Oh, excuse me, I'm starting to tear up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Quick, uh, I don't want to tangent too much, but quick aside, when you're talking about Miranda Hart, how the the patience you need for tedious people like that, it reminded me of there's there's a show called uh, I'm Sorry, which is Andrea Savage starring and writing and direct and and show running. There was this multi-episode running bit where a neighbor would be, they'd always, she'd be going to her car and he'd be getting his mail and he was somehow embarrassed that he was wearing shorts. So he would go out, shorts. Uh, And then every time she saw him, he'd go, hey, I'm shorts. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then every time you got me in shorts again, you know, and they did this like every episode until one episode she said, Now, don't you think we can just stop with the shorts thing for a bit? And he's like, Yeah, sure, whatever. And then, then, then he's cold. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, come on, what did I do? And then he says something that I, I think about all the time. He said, How hard was it to just say, Yeah? Right. Right. You had to go and do that. Yeah. How, how hard was it? Why does that feel like work? <laughs> Why does that feel like work? Yeah. Exactly. It, and it's just like, that's all it takes is just the patience. The father made me think of that a lot, too. Or you could just pretend yeah. you're having this conversation for the first time every time. Yeah. And while that's and that tedious like and it's, emo- work. Yeah. it's emotionally draining, but, but yeah, it also surprised me how many people in that movie, especially the so-called professional caregivers were surprised they're like he doesn't remember this yeah yeah (laughs) like constantly it was like like, no this is your job that was an issue (laughs) you know you should know this he's he's having dementia he's it's hard it's so counter to the human experience where things build right like we've gone over this we'll we'll get we'll get to that we'll get to yeah we'll talk more about the father glorious we get the best picture I'm sure. And speaking of glorious, now we're coming to a part of where we're going to start talking about some of our uh, short categories. Yes. Categories which will be of shorts. Glorious because it'll be a short segment of the podcast. <laughs> right. Because I'm so glad the Oscars are still recognizing this as an art form. It's a viable art form. Absolutely. And it's so important. Absolutely. I didn't see any of these. Me neither. <laughs> I just also assumed I wouldn't be able to find them. So I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even try. So I, I I could have. I, I yeah, didn't. could have. There's some on Netflix and Disney Plus, but it says it right there. But no, not there. Yep. So um, let's just skip over that. <laughs> yeah, best animated short. 
yeah, animated shorts tend to be better than the. I mean, you know, the yeah, cartoons. There's been some are, great. When you think cartoon, you think of shorts. I'm gonna say you go out if you if you if you check out any Oscar shorts compilations, you're never gonna be disappointed. Quick trivia question: This is my favorite uh, Academy Awards trivia question. What's the only best original song that comes from a short? And it's an animated short. Oh, that is a great question. I don't it's know. The, that winner for a best original song. It's, I don't know. It's the Woody Woodpecker song. Really? Yeah. I'm, it makes <laughs> me very happy that that won best original song. Yeah, absolutely. But, That's uh, fantastic. Quoted by uh, Brian Wilson in on the Smile album. Yeah. Okay. But that takes us to the long cartoons, best animated feature. <laughs> which I really wanted to see four of these. I only saw two of them, the Pixar ones, the ones that are on Disney+. Plus. I saw them all but Wolf Walkers, which is weird because Wolf Walkers is free on Apple+. Plus. I have Apple+. Plus. Oh. I've seen, I think every other one of this guy's movies, I've seen the first act of and thought they were great, but never have gone back. Hmm. And I didn't even try this time, which is, I guess not. I don't understand because they're beautiful. And we don't talk about it a lot, but movies are like music. Like if it doesn't sound good to you, it just doesn't sound good. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. I'm sure it's a beautiful movie. I'm sure it is. I think music is more like that than anything else. Like there's nothing more subjective than music. Like if you don't like the sound, Mm -hmm. nothing was going to convince you to like appreciate this (laughs) work of art right yeah think of the craftsmanship that goes into perry cuomo's sound it doesn't matter right doesn't doesn't matter matter a wit if you just don't dig it yeah okay so uh oscar the oscars have nominated onward over the moon a sean the sheep movie farmageddon that's a weird fucking title (laughs) that's the that's the third subtitle of that movie actually yeah, why is a Sean? Why is the subtitle first? The title is Farmageddon, and then the subtitle is a Sean the Sheep movie. And he put that shit in parentheses, like it doesn't. Hey, that goes for my new trivia question like, I've been writing my whole life. Yeah, whatever. I guess it's like <laughs> Harry Potter in the Deathly Hallows Part Two. Whatever. Okay. Soul, and and Wolfwalkers. Okay. All right. Wolfwalkers. <laughs> Wolfwalkers. Those look like dog walkers. I didn't see it either, so I yeah. don't know. But can you hire wolf yes. walkers? For, is this a spinoff from Twilight? Like, or, uh, I'm not sure. You can't get off work and yeah. the wolf is chewing the furniture. Someone's going to walk, walk okay. the wolf. Um, I saw two of these. I'm just going to go and say and say Saul will win because I don't know. I'd love to say wolf walkers would win. Wolf walkers, yeah. from everything I hear and like the stills I see, really appeals to me yeah. and my sensibilities. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know either. But I would say the same thing. I think it will win, and of the ones I've seen, it should win. I mean, Over the Moon is great. Onward's great. Saw on the Sheep, Farmageddon is really, really fun and really cute. And my noms for best animated feature would be all four of those. Probably Wolf Walkers if I saw it, but since I didn't, I'm going to go ahead and throw in oh, SpongeBob movies, Sponge the on the Run. <laughs> if you only saw five, it would have to be. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry. In your yeah. top five. I, it would be the yeah. Unless you leave it out out of spite or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll go first. Um, my number two is Onward, which I, I liked. I thought it was very touching. Um, not in the top half of Pixar movies um, ranked, but I liked it. But it was, it was touching. It was great, and also, but it was good. And, um, yeah. It, and it had a, great, uh, had a great action finale. 
Yeah, gave me I feels. It was I really thought it fun. was solid, solid mm-hmm. storytelling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, with a moment when uh, when he finds out that Bailey has been serving the role of his father his whole life is very moving. Yeah, it was. Generally, made me it think was. of. Yeah. Um, and then Soul, I've been thinking about this. I said this when I first saw it, and it's still true because I can't think of a better example. I can't think of a better example of a movie that shows reality on two planes of existence and gives each like a truly distinct visual and audio feel experience. I guess is why it's in best sound. Um, uh, I should have thought about this, but I, I guess I should have included <laughs> it. Like just the way like the, the dialogue track is processed. Like it, yeah. you, you really feel like it's two completely separate planes of existence where the rules are completely different. Right. And they inter- the way they interplay with each other um, was great. I thought it was – I see a lot of people – I think this is really unfair. Like a lot of people compare it to Inside Out and it's like, well, it kind of does the same thing as Inside Out and not as – No, it doesn't good. at all. And it's, it's – yeah. I don't like that. I got I, I judge it on its own thing. I didn't care for the – when it became a body swap briefly, a body swap movie, I was like, oh. For much longer than we thought it was. Well, that, yeah, but it – didn't like it didn't keep like that wasn't the primary thing that was going on for i don't know right it's i just i liked it how it kept going me. to new places and like becoming right. a different kind of movie <laughs> at different points right. i really liked it um uh i thought it was good uh it was a great sounding movie we'll, we'll get to that but overall i, I was mm. I thought that was a really good experience yeah i thought it was very soulful in a soulful because it's jazz and black people it's it was it was it spoke to the soul like it was a it was really about like thematically let's go ahead and talk about it like it says the same thing thematically that anna karenina um by leo tolstoy says which is all about like the way to live a happy life (laughs) right um you know what 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 some consider the greatest novel ever written is all about uh, that you don't look for the big event, the big splashy peak to define what's happiness in life. It's finding it's finding the day-to-day routine. It's the doing it, right. you know. That if the act of doing it isn't making you happy, you're not going to be happy. Right. You know, it's not the achieving it. Yeah. So, and that, like, has been, if anything I've read in any book ever, that's been the most important thing for me to... Find happiness, and that's what this movie is all about. And so I really loved yeah. it. I found the, the yeah. emotional conclusion of the movie, like I seriously, deeply connected with it, and found it very. Yeah, moving. I sobbed very openly. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's just what this movie is, and I really appreciated that. Like it didn't become like what I thought it was going to be about. He needs to learn to appreciate teaching. Like it's never it goes back yeah. to that. No. Which is very unexpected. Like the formula would be he learns that what he like you get one scene where he appreciates teaching a kid, but it's not like I need to rededicate myself to being a, a teacher. And I really right. appreciated that that was that still was not right for him. Right. And he had to go to another different other place to find what was right for him. I I just I found the journey of the movie really interesting. Yeah. So soul for me, number one. Me too. I know you said first earlier, but I had already kind of did my thing earlier, so we'll move on to visual effects. Okay, all right, sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. That was my. That was just pretty much. Uh, no, that, that was beautiful. I love that. 
That's what this is for. This is why they come. They come for the rants, not for the data dumps. <laughs> um, speaking of which, uh, you will get no data dump here because I honestly didn't have any thoughts about this category for the first time in my life. This is best visual effects. This was the hardest one for me, too. Ladies and gentlemen, I failed you. I didn't do anything for this. So um, oh. the nominees are wow. Love and Monsters. The Midnight Sky. Mulan. The one and only Ivan. And Tent. <laughs> um, uh, I have so, a feeling we're going to get your feelings on Tenet at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, 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 you know, I have to say Love and Monsters is a movie that I saw the poster and I just, my eyes just went over it and went, I'm sure that's not going to be anything I'm going to be interested in. It looked like, um, uh, I think I saw exactly one clip and I was like, is this evolution? Remember that <laughs> smiley yeah. face movie? I didn't see yeah. that either, but it looked like the same kind of deal to me. But in, in the past, I mean, since then, I've, I've read a few things that sound pretty positive, so I might check it out at okay. some point, but I, I had other things to do. Um, if anyone <laughs> what cares to check out my unhinged rant about the midnight sky on Letterboxd, they can. I don't know if I can go there again right now. <laughs> but again, letter, Midnight Sky, I mean, this is not This is just visual effects, but... What's your profile name on Letterboxd? Uh, what is it? Carney, Carney of Steel. Steel. You're, you're Carney of Steel. I'm Siggy Lama, S-I-G-G-Y-L-L-A-M-A. Mm-hmm. We both write uh, reviews on there, so you should check it out. Yeah. And you, I'm always happy. You need to put a profile pick up there. You need to... You need to trick out your oh, no, uh, no, no, your no. profile a little bit. No one needs to see that. I know. I never. I never check do anything with the profiles. I just start using just a user. You know, this is their this is their social media presence for the podcast. It's time to step up. Whenever uh, Siggy puts up a uh, a uh, review, I always jump on it because I always enjoy reading. And his I always thoughts. hate that if we're going to talk about the movie. I yeah, don't I, want, I, I don't want you to read what I wrote there I, first. There, there are times where I see your, your thing come up and there's a rating but no review and I'm like he's holding this because he knows I'm going to read it <laughs> that's the I'm good stuff read it and then and then I'm going to pull stuff and I'm going to throw it at him first during the conversation just because we haven't gotten to it yet <laughs> and he's going to be mad about that I'm like well you weren't getting to it <laughs> um, so I think any 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 harboring anger I had towards Midnight Sky was was uh, uh, bled over into I'm not even going to consider it for visual <laughs> effects. Mulan I guess had good visual effects, but I, I wasn't really motivated to consider that. I haven't seen one and only Ivan. I wanted to actually, but I haven't been able to. And Tenant again, I'm unwilling to give it any credence. So uh, for me, my not I, I who will win? Uh, huh? Give it to Milan, I guess. Okay. Uh, who should win? I really don't know. And the only one that I put in my own nominations, uh, give it to Dick Johnson is dead. That's what I say. Oh, that's a, oh, I should have thought of that. Yeah. That's what I say. I, and unusual for a documentary to have special effects, but that's very good. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Well, I for my who will win, I'm just going to say the Academy is going to root for Tenet because they like the idea yeah. of... Movies being exhibited in theaters, and why not? They need to give it something. And I, I've, I've seen the trailer. I've seen the car flip upside down. That's all I know um, from that movie. So uh, whatever, Tenet, who cares? Okay, best visual effects. <laughs> I saw a lot of movies from this period, 41 of them, and very few mm. of them had standout special yeah. effects or like special effects that played a central role. I go right. like, well, 
probably some of these movies had special effects and they didn't notice and they were doing their job. Like Ma Rainey did. Yeah, for the Chicago, that street scene obviously is all digital. That didn't look that great, though, to be honest. Yeah, exactly, because you're going... It it looked exactly like a digital set. (laughs) Right. It was good. I like, I, you know, I enjoy seeing um, old timey Chicago as a. I remember seeing fences and and like being impressed at how they did the digital cities and went, wow, look at these great digital cities. <laughs> it's cool that they can do that. <laughs> it's cool that they can make digital cities. Is like, yeah, it's like <laughs> okay. taking me right out of that movie. Um, my number five is the Midnight Sky with the most boring special effects I've ever seen. <laughs> But they looked like they made it look like space. <laughs> they made it look like gravity, which is didn't care for the ship design, the interior ship design on that ship. Yeah, it was but, stupid. Know, I mean, I didn't like the Midnight Sky. The outer space. I actually, I liked. But the outer space. Though. I liked the Arctic parts of Midnight Sky a lot. Right. The space parts of Midnight Sky were complete bullshit. They shouldn't have been yeah. in the movie. I think. I think you and I both agreed that if they just stuck with Clooney. It's a fine movie. It's a good movie. That's, that's, they move, that's they your move movie. to the people in space. It's like every time they do, it's a, it's just a all the stuff it's in an space eye roll fucking fist. sucked and made no sense. And <laughs> right. it really did. Complete bullshit. Okay, all right. Number four, the Invisible Man, and you know Clooney was in Gravity, and then he's ripping off Gravity. Like it just made it really <laughs> just so aggravating. But, by the way, every time you announce your next thing, go back to complaining about Midnight Sky. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been such a it could have been a good movie. Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn absolutely. It. Okay. The Invisible Man. Um I almost I, mm. I was gonna pointedly not nominate it because I'm like, all you have to do is take the guy who plays the Invisible Man and have him walk out of the frame and you <laughs> You're done. <laughs> I was going to put it on there, and I figured you would lambast me, so I didn't put it on there. It, it wasn't great, but the you know the protracted scene, the fight scene in the kitchen. Oh, scary! It was crap. good. Yeah. It was, it was good. good. I thought, okay, I'll complain about it here. The fact that you have a scene like you see a weather forecast in that there's going to be rain. Yeah. Yes. Like, okay, they're setting up rain. We're going to do something cool with an invisible man in rain. And then she's planning her escape. And like, all right, she's going to get out there and she's going to see the guy because rain is like not falling on him, right? There's like a rain cavity. Like the rain is going to play into his invisibility somehow. And then it just never happens. It doesn't, it's not a thing. Like why do they have like a, they have a minivan like trunk lid open that is unquestioned by her (laughs) that he's apparently standing under and then walks out into it and still the rain doesn't play on him at all. Yeah. It was crazy. But that's not a, that's a script problem. That's a direction problem. Script and direction problem in a, in a movie that, that otherwise had very little to pick out on, I thought, but yeah, but the kitchen fight scene was good. Um, she fights an invisible guy and, uh, it's long. It's a long. It's like the bear attack scene in the Revenant, except it's with an invisible man and right. shot uh, <laughs> right. at um, uh, medium distance instead of close up. Yeah, uh, not as not as good as that scene, but it was still good. Okay, my number three is Birds of Prey because Ewan McGregor blows mm-hmm. up with a grenade and it's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> were you were you a little disappointed that that was it was it was just his hair? Like we just, it was just Ian McGregor's hair. That's what I was like. How is this a character? 
Wait, how was what his hair? No, I'm just just like Ian McGregor is just like like I I, I like everyone else's character designed through the roof and Ian McGregor just looks like he's there at like a read through. Oh. <laughs> I, I disagree. Okay? I think that I think that movie, I think what I think what Birds of Prey is about is deciding you're going to recover from the trauma of yeah. living in a world of men by Absolutely. having fun, by like saying, fuck it, I'm going to have fun anyway. That's what, right. like, that's the lesson Harley Quinn teaches to the other women yeah. in the movie. It's great. And so that, that fact that his look isn't fun, like, is important. <laughs> That's okay. Thematically. Right. You, convinced, you convinced me. I watched it wrong. Okay. I watched it wrong. You All right. Convinced me. And I liked his performance a lot in it too. Okay. All right. Yeah, his performance is good. Uh, number two, uh, the one and only Ivan, which I did not think of. When I was thinking of vis- visual effects, that movie did not occur to me at all. When I read the nominees, <laughs> I read the one and only Ivan, and I thought, why is that on here? And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Yeah. <laughs> Because those weren't real animals. <laughs> well, boy, if that's not an endorsement, I don't so, know. So yeah, what like, it is. how could I not include it then? That I forgot that they were special effects. <laughs> yeah, we're all, we're the best animal trainer uh, category. Yeah, that gorilla. I'm that gorilla was in my. How much peanut butter went into that great performance? <laughs> he was in my best lead actor <laughs> category until I remembered that it was a special effect, and I took him out. Like, oh, yeah. That wasn't an actual gorilla. A gorilla to sound like Sam Rockwell. <laughs> um, okay, I, gotta, I should have said at the top. For this was not a strong. I did say at the top. This is not a strong you best did. visual effects. My number one is The Wolf of Snow Hollow, just for the one <sighs> shot, which is one of my favorite shots. Mm. It didn't make my best shots list, but the, <gasps> the one shot where you think yeah. going into this movie that this is. There's not a real werewolf. This is a serial killer movie. And then you get the shot of the werewolf. Mm. And it like stands up from the corpse and the other person screaming. And that's just like such an affecting shot into such a, a whiplash mm. inducing moment. It's like one yeah. of very, the very few special effects shots in the movie. It's all practical effects from what I understand. Um, but it was like the most memorable special effects moment in, of the year for me. Absolutely. And then Jim Cummings falling on the uh, oven door um, was another big one. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. I'll have more to say about that stuff later. Okay. But, uh, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that, that I, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, category, next category is best film editing. Ah, uh, this is a fun one. This is a hard one to think about. This was. There are some years where it's like easy, like where you go Ford v Ferrari, no, hands down. Yeah. But this one was was was, was interesting. But it was a strong field. I thought it was a very strong field with very a lot strong of field. subtle strength to it. Yeah. So um, the Academy has nominated this year uh, Yorgos. I'm going to butcher some names, so I apologize. Yeah, Yorgos Lamprinos for The Father. Chloe Jano for Nomadland. Zhao, sorry. It's the director. The director's also the editor, so I Yeah. Um, I don't know why I saw an she, end there. She's the real deal, man. She does it all. Chloe Zhao. And she didn't do it under a pseudonym like Robert Rodriguez does. She like she owned it. I like that. Yeah, or um 
Coen Brothers. Yeah. Uh, Promising Young Woman. Uh, I stepped on that. That was Frederick Thorval. Thor- okay. Thorval for Promising Young Woman, yeah. I'm going to give him credit. Uh, Mikkel E.G. Nielsen for Sound of Metal. And Alan, I need a easier name, Baumgarten. Come on, Alan, get a better name. Look get at a your... better <laughs> film to edit. I'm sorry. I'm calling bullshit on this nomination. <laughs> Me too. This is fucking bullshit. The Trial of Chicago 7. I mean, the editing was fine, but this movie was not that good. No. no. You know, it's funny. If you don't think about history, the movie's pretty entertaining. It speeds along very well, but... I disagree with that. When you when you look at like what it actually... What they're sacrificing and stuff, it's like, oh, this isn't this isn't wise. Actually, I thought so, I thought yeah. those courtroom scenes dragged in places and like had weird air in them. I actually thought the editing was not that good. I much preferred Brett Morgan's documentary uh, Chicago Ten, mm-hmm. which uh, mixed archival footage with uh, full animated recreations, basically because what some of the people were saying this trial is like a cartoon. So they basically made a cartoon out of. Did they look like courtroom sketches? No, not really. Uh, But like they've got full like Hollywood cast to voice the people, and it was it was it's and the the great part about that movie is that the soundtrack had like modern day. It was Eminem and Sabotage and all these. She was Chicago musicians, right? I know, but like they were doing that, and I'm like, why are they playing this music? Like it, 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 I was getting frustrated. Like like. But then I realized the genius of it was all these period music's always, you know, they, they, they salivate the chance to do like a 60s soundtrack or whatever. And then they, they fill it with that. And then the viewing audience, at least the audience, younger viewers might would go, oh, this was a long time ago. That's, it's not now. And then the urgency of the modern music made it feel like this is, could be happening now. Mm. Because it is happening, could be happening now. Uh, so, like, I thought that was a, a really smart choice. Reminds me choice. of um, anyway. uh, Maria Antoinette, uh, the Sofia Coppola movie. Mm, which, which I still need um, to see. There's something similar with the soundtrack. It's like, this is just a teenage girl. Yeah. It's just a teenage yeah. girl, right. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, calling bullshit on that. So, who will win? Probably the bullshit one. <laughs> I hope not. Oh, God. No. <laughs> Again, I, I'm always expecting to be... Like, yeah, of course they did. The most nominations. So I figure it's either going to be uh, Baumgarten or um, The Father. It's probably going to be one of those two, in my opinion. Oh, I think it's going to be Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. I think that's that's mm. such a constructed movie True. in the editing room. You have a, like, that movie does, true. doesn't... It's such a collage. It's such like a quilt. Um, you're right. Yeah. I, you're right. I was going to say who should win should be Promising Young Woman. But I might change that now that I think about it. I discounted Nomad Land, but you're right. That isn't a movie that truly is built. Um, yeah, I think I'm going to change that. Wow, I convinced you. Okay, cool. What do you know? Well, then, since I'm on a roll, I'm going to give my top five. Uh, my number Please five uh, best film editing of 2020 goes to Andrew Dickler and Matt Friedman for Palm Springs. I thought. Uh, mm, yeah. I thought the editing in that movie was fantastic. It's it has a, a a number of montage sequences which are really important to showing the passage of time and how relationships are evolving, and they're just like really fun. Um, the, that that this is a very fun 
edited movie. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really I, liked it uh, a lot. I thought it was really Pump. good. Palm Springs on my list of overall movies is the is one movie that I keep feeling really really bad about the further it's pushed down <laughs> my list because I want it to be in the top 10 so bad but like there's so many great movies and I'm like oh I really wanted because yeah it's such a delight that movie it really is it's got so much energy it's no it's not weightless either you know it's got it's got some some big things it's talking about so it's not flighty, you know. It's not uh, uh, flippant. It's, it's 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 such a delight, but it's also got some it's got some shit to talk about. I do not disagree, but that's not a question of editing. Um, so I'm not no, going to talk no, about sorry. it. Sorry, here. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. My number four is uh, Robert Frazen. I'm thinking of ending things. I talked about this a lot in our last episode. I mm-hmm. thought just yes, you the did. way those those. Car rides were edited. The whole thing was great, but the car rides especially, just like that was... Yes. The way they sustained that was uh, very impressive. Uh, Number three, The Wolf of Snow Hollow, uh, Patrick Nelson Barnes and R. Brett Thomas. I thought the the montages, Mm -hmm. like the crime scene investigation montages, cutting back and forth with the murders themselves that happened the previous night. Um, Um... I will talk later in uh, best edited sequence <laughs> about one in particular and why it was so impressive. Uh, I likely will as well. That gets it on this list. My number two is Chloe Zhao for Nomadland um, uh, for reasons uh, described. And my number one is Scott Cummings for Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. I thought the, mm. the sequences, especially the sequences in New York in between – Oh, the apartments. Yeah. So this is the um, teenage girl seeking an abortion uh, story. She spends a lot of time in in New York City with no place to stay, like uh, figuring out what to do. And I I thought the storytelling that's so much of it is built in the editing of like how she's spending this passage of time and how dangerous and scary it is um and like what that's the strain is putting on the relationship between her and her friend like so much of that is built in the edits yeah um for me that was the the greatest accomplishment in editing that i that i saw I, i thought it was such a masterwork that is well reasoned absolutely i i I, I think I just got edged out, and I in my I think it's my number six, and I'm thinking I should move it up now. <laughs> um, my number five is I'm thinking of ending things. Uh, it would be higher if it wasn't for the fact that the transitional piece that leads you to the ending just you hated that was a plane yeah. crash. I hated it. It was it was anything. the weakest part of the movie. I agree. Yeah, and again, like <laughs> the statement that I was surprised I came up with was. It didn't stick the landing, which mean the plane crashed and burned. <laughs> yeah, airplanes aren't supposed to stick the landing. They're supposed yeah, to roll exactly. on a runway. Right. Um, <laughs> so that's my number five. Uh, my number four is Promising Young Woman, uh, a, a, an amazingly constructed movie, in my opinion. Uh, number three is Feels Good Man, mm. the documentary that I mentioned earlier, which um, I to see that. is one of the most towering experiences I've ever had watching a movie. Um, and yet also, I wouldn't say affirming so much because it is so sad, but there is like, 
the striving for hope in it is really something. Um, my number two uh, movie for editing is Shirley. Yes, great choice. I got mad love for Shirley. I mean, it's really, it's that, I think we said before, I have not seen a movie in so long that really felt made. You know, made by someone. Like I could feel, I could see the hands putting the pieces together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I'll be you talking know? more and about so, this too. So Yeah. And my number one uh, for film editing is The Wolf of Snow Hollow. I love this movie. I love its editing. It's got it th- more than three, but it's got three solid montages that if anyone ever complains about saying that a montage is inherently a bad idea or a weak choice, I will kill them. <laughs> <laughs> will, you, will you put on a weird suit to do it? Bob Odenkirk said a said something beautiful once, though, contradicting what I just said. He said, montage is French for a filmmaker saying, I don't know, you figure it out. <laughs> He's wrong, but that's very funny. It's very funny. Uh, bad montages do that. But if you want to know how to do a montage, watch the fucking Wolf of Snow Hollow. <laughs> Those are great um, montages. There is a command of storytelling in that movie that is in short supply. But not so much this year, you see. Like I said, it's it's pretty amazing. All right. So now we have best edited sequence. Siggy, you want to uh, walk us through what that means and then your selections? Sure. Yeah, we have no nominees to go through because the Academy does not recognize this category, but we sure do. This is uh, sort of a cousin to the best scene, but it's might be within a scene. It might be something that bridges scenes. It might be a montage. It's, it's a passage of a film that's primarily built through editing as a storytelling technique. And so there's obviously there might be performance and direction and every, everything else goes into it too. But when you watch it, it's primarily about something being built through editing. For me, like a recent exemplar that we talked about in – Last year was, uh, or maybe the year before, I don't remember, Ford v. Ferrari, the perfect lap sequence, Mm. which is like, it's a section within the big race, so it's not its own scene, but it's like its own, like, distinct passage of of the film, and it's very much built through, through editing. So that's what we're, so it's kind of a loose definition, but uh, we think it's good enough. So we each have our top five of best edited sequence. Maybe we'll each give our... Should we run through the top fives, or should we like, give our fives, fours, threes back and forth? You want to ping-pong it? And what do you, how do you want to do it? Yeah, let's ping-pong these. My number five... Well, first, first I'm going to say honorable mention. I'm going to say honorable mention to the recording of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom in Ma Rainey's yeah, Black Bottom. Yeah, that was a great one. It reminded me of... An, <laughs> Strange to say, of Boogie Nights, the the (laughs) first filming of the, just like the mechanics, like the mechanical process of recording it. How you're getting you're getting into this big song and it's great, and then it cuts to quiet in the booth, watching the little thing scratch into. It's so nice. Yeah, that was very good. Yeah, nice thing. But um, my number five is the uh, for best edited sequence is the drive back from the farm in I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Oh, that whole, that whole sequence. That whole sequence. Okay. It's pretty great. I think I prefer the drive there, 
But I, so do I, I, because that's my number four. Oh, okay. All right. Um, okay. So um, give me your number five. My number five is The Invisible Man, a movie I Ooh, yeah. was surprised by how much I liked it. Um, that opening escape, the opening sequence of that movie, um, uh, Elizabeth yeah. Moss's character escaping the house, I thought that was crackerjack tension through editing. You'll probably hear me talk about that later. Okay, so we have good. different we have different takes on what constitutes things. We were working our way in the, into things into different categories. Yeah, right. we knew this would happen. Tremendous uh, piece of work. Yeah, very good. Uh, my number four is the drive to the farm, okay. and I'm thinking of ending things. Excellent, thank uh, you, thank you. It makes me feel happy because I know I like this movie a lot better than you, and so I, you're giving me warm fuzzies when you uh, when you throw it some love. Absolutely. I mean, well, I, I think I'm thinking of any things might be the lover that broke my heart. You know what I mean? It's the one that I just, it's my drive award. You know, it's the one that like was so amazing. And then at one point I was just going, ah, oh, you can't, I can't come back from that. It, but there is so much to love. So, so yeah, that drive from to the farm is, which I believe you have a particular Particular love for so yeah. You uh, are, I'll probably I, let you talk about that when we get to it. You already uh, know what my number one is going to be. Um, <laughs> I, I declared it in our last episode. My number four is starting the pickle business in um, an American pickle. Oh, uh, yes, oh yes, I forgot. I, I loved this sequence because it's so unexpected. Yeah. Of yeah. the I will go start pickle business. And I I really like that movie. I think it goes off the rails at some point, and so I don't give it. Any other love yeah. <laughs> um, in this movie, but this part of it where he's uh, this is like Seth Rogen's like recognition of how the the Jewish immigrants who first came here and like built uh, the America that uh, that he now lives in, that uh, mm-hmm. his Jewish community lives in. That that sequence was so much fun and it was surprising and uh, it was great. It was it was a blast. I thought it, I thought it said a lot, and it was really good. I'm glad you're tell, saying this because you're right. the The thing that's so amazing about it is that for the 20th century or the the 2000 2020 Seth Rogen, 21st century, a 21st century Seth Rogen, uh, Buck he, Rogers, he stymied and and trying to get something off the ground, and then this guy comes back and just does it. Yeah, says I'm going to do this, and then you see him do it, and you're like, there's this weird hurdle that. It just isn't there for him. And you're like, so yeah, wait, this hurdle isn't there at all. Right. <laughs> it starts up like a joke, like what this guy yeah. is, what's this guy doing? He's a, no, he's actually doing it. You know, this is yeah. what you do when you want to do something, you do it. And like, just, that was pretty it's great. It's just a fucking doing it. Yeah. I didn't get to that point because I was, um, made uncomfortable by the, admittedly knowing statements it was making about free labor <laughs> of interns. Well, that's the, you know, the other shoe drops. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. It was just, it was like, I like that he's making this a point, that we're having, making this a conversation, but it was also the exploitation of labor <laughs> was getting, never really seemed to be, you know, get snapped back. So I, I don't know. That that was that left a bad taste in my mouth. But yeah, I'm glad they were at least acknowledging it. That <laughs> that's how things are done by exploiting people. Yeah, right. That was my number four. My number three is the um, entire final sequence of Nomadland, which was mm. it's dialogue free. It's 
Um, it completes like the cycle of the movie, but it also completes the it completes your picture of the emotional state of Fern of, of Francis McDormand's mm. character, and like it really like fills in like why she's doing what she's doing. Like everything you've been seeing her doing beforehand, like it just completes that picture, and right. it's like it just like brings it to a finality and it just makes her feel it's already been a com- incredible performance but it like just like yeah it's like completes like a complete circle of who this person is and why she has made the choices she has made up until mm. that you've been seeing her make um and just like what her world is now and it's all told visually and it's all through editing and beautiful beautiful yeah. storytelling through film i might have to see that again because i think my uh onset depression from the situation posed in the beginning of the movie might have clouded my ability to enjoy much the rest much more of it Hmm. so i might have to revisit that movie because i know it's something special but it's weird how very little of it actually sticks with me it did i had trouble sticking with me too like there i've really thought this year a lot about how some movies grow in your memory and some yeah. shrink. And Nomadland, yeah. I confess, was one that shrunk for me after yeah. I watched it. Um, and I really have to kind of work to recall the feelings it was giving me while I was watching mm-hmm. it. While I was watching, I'm like, this is a masterpiece. And then it just kept like diminishing and sinking yeah. down my list afterwards. But that last sequence did really stick with yeah. me. If you haven't seen her previous film, the writer from I think twenty eighteen. I haven't seen any of her. Yeah, you should see it. Will for sure. That one has stayed has has stayed in my memory. Remarkable. Anyway, my number three is I guess you would call it the th- one of the third montages if with from the Wolf of Snow Hollow. This is the werewolf research research debriefing and nightmare sequence. That ends okay. in the librarian waking him up and going, <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> um, what I like about this sequence is that it, in the best possible way, it feels like an actor editing this. Because he's on the phone with some other department trying to get information. And when they ask him what it's for, and he goes off on them and says, well, no, I'm actually investigating an arson <laughs> case about nosy people who ask too many freaking questions or whatever. But right before he gets mad, it cuts to him in the library sneaking a uh, swig yeah. of alcohol. If you watch that sequence, anytime he gets friction, hmm. he starts drinking. But it's, a, even, it's in another scene, but it highlights the agitation going on agitation inside him in that moment. He... It's great. Drowned it later, yeah. Exactly, it's fantastic. And then, and then the jump cut. I have to admit, the very simple jump cut of him, of him, of him try, leaving the funeral, going past the people who quite like the father, who are in different funerals, standing there, moving towards the dead body of Barbie, or the the, the I guess the zombie ghost of Barbie. And then the section of the wall the door is now the outside where Hannah was killed. And then having that just really simple jump cut of just suddenly the wolf is there silhouette silhouetted is 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 weirdly <laughs> effective. So I love it. It's a great it's a great scene. It's 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 informative. It's tense. It's funny. It's rich in character. It's frightening. It's everything. 
Okay, it. if I can follow that with my number two is I I don't I I honestly don't remember if we're talking about the same montage or not. So you'll tell me. I just I just called it "Dead Kid Doesn't Kill the Funny" from The Wolf of Snow Hollow. Is it the same one? Well, that's my number two as well. Okay, all right. The the most tragic and affecting of the crimes of the murders is the yeah the mother who tried to tell the police and they didn't they didn't like she, her lead gets buried amongst all the bad leads and then when she gets killed uh, we have we're cutting to her so she's been set up like the most of any of the victims beforehand right like we have set up we're we're doing cutting from her to the investigation cut to the funeral we learn in the midst of this montage that a child has died yeah it's not played for laughs it's not played for dark comedy it's showing no. this shit has gotten so much worse that a, the kid died in the crime cut immediately to a joke that lands yeah <laughs> Exactly. The thing about it being a hunter? Yeah, the hunting license. Yeah, uh, unlicensed hunter. And the, the fact that you can do that is like a miracle of editing. Yeah, it really is. And, and, edit, and directing and everything. And directing and writing you, and, and performance and all of it. Because I think the thing that does it is the fact that he's trying it, – it, like the, the humor is a release from the frustration that we have this kid died, the mother died – and then the guy who's trying to help it, and he's actually onto something, and then he meets resistance for people who just want to stop dealing with it. Yeah. And then, and then he's like, and so the anger that comes up is like, no, you come over here and stand over this dead kid and tell me it's a hunter without a light. No, come on. I, I really want to hear this. This is going to be great. <laughs> it's a hunter without a license. You're bad at your job. I mean, there's, I think what, why it lands is that there's a righteousness to it. There's not a tastelessness to it. It's a, it's right? the writing too. The writing is excellent. Yeah, but like you got the the timing. Like there's comic yeah. timing and there's tragic timing, and this edit is both. Like that one it's cut. Both. Like you got to time that shit perfect, or that's not gonna work. It's probably one of the best. Yeah, the best edited moments of the year, yeah. in my opinion. It's just how how did they do that? Yeah, it shouldn't. How work. did he do that? Right. It should not work, and it does. <laughs> it's perfect. So, what's your number one? My number one is the bone dog sequence of the drive to the farmhouse in oh. I'm Thinking of Edding Things. Sure that is, um, I couldn't put it in best monologue because it's just someone else's poem that Charlie Kaufman right. used. But the, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and the actors do it all the time, man. And the performance of it is great, but that the editing of that is just like chef's kiss. Like, yeah. That could have dragged. It's a three and a half minute poem that someone's just reciting. <laughs> And it's, it's for me, it's the most the most exciting and frankly scary <laughs> passage of that movie in a way that I still yeah. cannot decipher why. It's the mystery to me. If it speaks to you in a language you can't understand, it's gorgeous. Yeah, it, it it speaks to such a deep, deep part of my subconscious that I don't understand it. Yeah. And what's your number one? Um, at risk of sounding repetitious, my number one is from The Wolf of Snow Hollow. <laughs> it's a lot of and, great editing in that movie. And this I struggled with. I wasn't sure if it was the the Miley, the Liz and Miley funeral attack, crime scene management, <laughs> you know, uh, sequence, or if it was the. And I ultimately decided to go with the first one, which is the the wolf attack of Hannah, 
the crime scene management that follows the diner with his wife, with his ex-wife mm. and the funeral. And mainly just because you're watching this, the one shot take of him trying to hold together this crime scene and inter- intercut with, with, you know, his want to alcohol intercut with the attack itself intercut with it's it's it it was one of the really first moments of like we're we're dealing with a genius film here <laughs> i mean in a way i think the next montage with the thing knocks it out of the park even more but i'll always have that first love for that that first that first scene there that's your reservoir dogs of yeah exactly edited sequences of the wolf of snow hollow <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right well this might be a good place to stop at part one of you awarded it wrong. Yeah. So stay tuned for our next episode. where We'll pick it up with not having anything to say about best documentary shorts. That's right. On you awarded it wrong for film year 2020. Stay cine. <laughs> I don't know what that means. You watched it wrong. <laughs>